Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Let's Get Real program share with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Thank you for joining us on this very, very busy Sunday night. We really appreciate it. It's getting close to Arab Pesach. We only have, we only have two more shiurim left before Pesach starts, but uh, we're getting into it. Again, tonight's share 137. So I always start first thanking all the viewers and the people that are part of it for promoting it, for posting on the WhatsApp statuses, for sending it around in emails, letting people know about it. And just really getting the word around, as uh, Moshe Weinberger says, Rabbi Weisenfeld, it's a place to come and to talk, really get some clarity and get some chizik that we do every single week. So thanks for joining. If anybody wants to join and get the flyers every Sunday, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. You can go to MenachemBerenfeld.com to his website if you want to sign up to get the weekly emails, the flyers, the replays and uh, be part of that as well. If anybody's watching the, the, the replay of this on YouTube, please click on the like button, and subscribe button, since Shevon Menachem uploads every week the videos. Early Monday morning, um, you get a ding and you get to know about it, and you get to be part of it. Also on the first start of thank you all the advertising sponsors that promote us on all the websites, the Lake Scoopy on Lakewood, Elian Ariel from Five Town Central, and Tyler Calvin from JCN, the Jewish Content Network for always promoting us on all the digital platforms. Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity. OKClarity.com is the online place for any year to, top, to find top-notch therapists, coach, and nutritionists. OKClarity.com professionals have vetted an extreme ex- extensive experience working in the Jewish community. And yes, you can even find the famous, world-famous Coach Menachem Berenfeld there. If anybody wants to join their mental health or find somebody, you can definitely go to the website. You can join their WhatsApp. They have statuses. The number is 917-426-1495. That's 917-426-1495. 1495, and then I will send out an email with all the information. If anybody is here tonight for the very first time, where have you been the last three years? That's number one. But number two, welcome anyway. And uh, remember, every Thursday night, we have different Rabbanim, different Rosh Yeshivas. We have people from Eretz Yisrael who come and wake up at 3.15 in the morning to join us, especially Rabbi Wiesenfeld. We appreciate that. 3.15. It's not 4.15. It's 3.15. So I'm going to be, if you woke up, you're sleeping, I don't know where he's holding. Maidan, Ishma, who knows? But every Sunday night at 9.30, American Eastern time that we do it. Please join us and we have an amazing topic. Next week we have March 26th. Nachamol, Rabbi Nsian Schaefer, who, I mean, he came on last time. We had an amazing, amazing program with him. He wrote that book, The 10 Stupid Mistakes That Smart Couples Make. But it's going to be a little bit of a different program. We're going to try to focus it more on very uh, Rabbi Schaefer style. How to finally get your spouse to change. Oh, he has the magic answer. Taking our marriages to the next level. Roles and responsibilities of the husband and the wife. So I'm sure that's going to be very, very uh, engaging. So please join. Tell everybody to join. It should be an unbelievable program, and it should be powerful. Tonight is Shear 137, and has, as we have been doing for a while, every Shear is tied into a gematria by the president of the Shear, Rabbi Arno Fried, and he came up with a gematria tonight. And Rabbi Wiesenfeld wants to know the gematria with Rabbi Wiesenfeld, and tonight's topic has to do with 137. Before I say the Gematia, I'd like to wish a heart to Gemazel Tov moderator Rav Ushi Pamis upon the birth of his oldest grandchild, Aaron. The bris was this past Friday. And for tonight's, for tonight's Gematia, be, the topic that we're going to be discussing, happy with the life we have. So 137 is Begimatia Yimei Hachesed. 
if we realize our days are full of chesed non-stop from the Ebishter, what the Ebishter bestows upon us every single minute of the day, we will be able to regain appreciation, be happy with the life we have. 137 Yimei HaChesed. Let's do the Sheilu Zeich the picture in the back of the Rebbe. Did I get it right? Who's that? What's the last name? Okay. Rabbi Weizenfeld's Rabbi. So tonight is a neshama for all the hundreds of people here. Make sure the thousands of people that listen to it. Okay, we're going to start off first with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. We got the gematria, so that's good. But what are we doing here tonight? What are we talking about? Beautiful. Thank you very much. And yes, like Arnoyev mentioned, a big mazel tov to Urshi Parnas and the whole family for the Einikul, Aaron, Akoyan. She see a lot, a lot of nachas from this one and from all, with a lot of chavazadas, nuchas anefesh, mit alagitazachim. Yes, so tonight we have Baruch Hashem Deschus to have Rabbi Wiesenfeld Rosh Hashiva, Rosh Hashiva based David, which I personally know some Talmidim over there, which it is unbelievable. They go to Eretz Yisrael and you don't talk to them for a few days and they you look at them, they're, they're totally in a different place. You wonder, what's going on over there? We're going to have to figure that out in Mitzvah Shem. <laughs> you don't understand what that means, but they have a sprach, something. So we want to get a snippet, something tonight, to feel a little bit of what's going on in the yeshiva, to understand what it gives over, and we would love to drink from it. The Mitzvah Shem tonight, hopefully we'll be able to get from that. But tonight is, is it's before Yantus, before Pesach, and there's a lot of excitement, a lot going on, whether it's preparation. And it's a good time to talk about igniting the spark, what we need, what we need to connect to. But it's important to know that many people struggle. Um, many are very busy, just being busy of doing who knows what. And it's hard to stop and uh, start to connect to Yom Toivim, even though there's, there's so much work to do. And one of the ideas, maybe we'll hear tonight, is to, to connect, is to learn, to have some time to sit down with Yeshavadas and learn what is it all about, what are we looking for, what are we looking to connect to, even to the Yom Tovim. But um, if we don't have time for that, and then we'll, we, you know, we're complaining, I can't connect, I can't connect. Well, if we're too busy running around, then that might be a big problem. If you have time to sit into yeshiva, especially in yeshiva-based David, I'm sure you'll be able to connect, to pick up some ideas. But for those who are busy, not in Eretz Yisrael, not in a yeshiva, to find a few minutes a day, to find some safer that talks about it to help us figure out what are we looking for. Another idea is that we know, many of us, know logically, we know what Pesach is all about, Emuna, Yitzis Mitzrayim. We know the ideas, Hashem runs the world, Emuna Betachen. Logically, we know. We know the answers. The problem is that we have a hard time connecting. We have a hard time feeling whether we know what we're looking for or not, but we don't feel connected. And even those who have Baruch Hashem a good life, when, and somebody has a hard time going through challenges, then they have questions. You know, I do try to connect, but I don't understand. How do we understand this? Well, you know, so all of this in Mitzvah hopefully tonight we'll be able to get the general ideas of how to connect, and especially before the Yom Tovim, what we're looking for. 
um, practical steps where we can start slowly but surely to connect and find out what we're looking for so that we can feel alive with our life, with our Yiddishkeit, connection to Hashem and to the Torah and Mitzvah and Mitzvah Hashem. Shkoyach for being with us so early in the morning and it should be a big schos in Mitzvah Hashem. Beautiful opening, appreciate that. So we're going to get started, we're going to jump into it. Tonight's topic, I took all of Rabbi Wiesenfeld's topics, I put it together, because I know Rabbi Wiesenfeld, we spent some time together with Kashanashi. I love Rabbi Wiesenfeld, he's an amazing guy, he's Talmidim all here. I know some of his Talmidim personally, and he really, like Menachem said, we got to drink some of that Kool-Aid, whatever it is, right? We got to drink some of that stuff, whatever it is, so give it over to us. So tonight's topic is igniting the spark of Yiddishkeit, not living robotic and start to think for ourselves. And then I threw in also, why not? If we're already doing this, let's just do it right. How to get us and our children excited and happy with the life that we already have. How to like just enjoy life. So Rabbi Wiesenfeld, I'm going to read your bio and just do whatever you do. Okay? Rabbi Avi Wiesenfeld, Rosh Yeshiva, Yeshiva based David, an American Yeshiva Yerushalayim, helping boys deepen their connection with Hashem, an author of popular Kashras, the Kitchen and Pocket Halacha series, Roy Arov, Poisik of Kal, Halacha Beis Hara. A sought after speaker in the UK, USA, Israel, his powerful Ashkafa Shirim, and practical Allah slideshows, along with his energy, which is through the roof, and his passion is infectious. He has over 3,000 Shirim on Torah anytime and has Shirim on Spotify and other platforms. And just to mention, I follow Rabbi, Rabbi Yeshiva based David's status, and it's the coolest Yeshiva in the world. If I can join, I don't know if you take guys as ADs, but if you take Zadis, I'm in. I'm just letting you know. You Come guys in. world. You guys, I mean, you guys go to places that I, I would never go. I mean, I would never go. That's a separate topic. But Rabbi Wiesenfeld, you here. Let's go. The floor is yours. Ah, Gavaldi, Gavaldi. Thank you so, so much. First of all, you should know, it's very, very exciting to be to be with you today. First of all, I want to give a shout out to my guys, the guys who are, are with us today. It's so good. It's great. It's 3.42 in the morning, and I see some of my beautiful boys with us today, which is so beautiful, which is great. And thank you for giving me the chizit by coming on. It's great to have some of that uh, moral support with us. Uh, what a great platform. What a great uh, organization over here. I'm so proud to, uh, to be a part of. And uh, hope, hopefully, Hashem, we can give chizit to the Olam together. We're in this together. Like, you know, just of a disclaimer, you know, whatever may be coming in today. I don't know if I have the answers. I have no idea. But I want to share with you some of my experiences. I will share with you some of the things that I've used for myself. And, of course, for others at the yeshiva as well. But maybe perhaps a little bit of a background uh, before we get on to the, the main topic. I, uh, my accent gives it away. I can't really hide, which I'm very, very proud of. I come from London, England, a wonderful, wonderful place from a beautiful family, Baruch Hashem. And uh, I grew up in a regular home in London, Golders Green, two beautiful parents and wonderful siblings. And uh, I kind of, you know, went through the quote unquote what they say, the system. But I would say that the system didn't really work for me. Uh, as it doesn't work for many. And uh, I'm not embarrassed to say that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're not bashing the system, we're not putting it down in any way, shape or form. But for many, it doesn't work. And I was of very, very high energy. Um, there are some magazines that call that ADHD, whatever you want to call that, it's irrelevant. But the point is a very high energy and, and a lot of my teachers just couldn't cope with that. Like, you know, what is he doing? And, you know, I didn't make it through uh, a lot of the school and I did a lot of working and I opened up many of my own businesses while I was in high school and I was busy with that. And when it came to yeshiva, it was like, yeah, we go to yeshiva because, you know, everybody else goes to yeshiva. Why not? I'll go for six months. I had an up and running business, which was making money at the time. I didn't really want to ruin that. 
But, you know, for six months, I figured I'll put it on a bit of hold and I get, got other people to do things. I came to Eretz Yisrael with the intention of staying for six months. And uh, here I am 22 and a half years later, uh, probably 23 by now. And Baruch Hashem, I've never looked back. It's unbelievable. I, I don't have the answer. I can't tell you what it was. I can't tell you there was that one day that, you know, all of a sudden that one speech, that one Rebbe, that one situation that turned around everything. I, I don't know if I can say that. But I can definitely say there was a lot of great Rebbeim, great people in my lives as well that I saw and looked up to that definitely helped that. And that developed who I am today. And I feel very much that what I do today, and it's it's a gewaldige schus, and, it's, and it really is an amazing, amazing schus. And I thank the Rabbi Shalom every single day for giving me the opportunity to spend time with these incredible boys. And I am very often at all. You know, I'm in awe with these boys who just, who have done so much, who have, you know, who have changed, who, are, you know, life isn't easy. There are many challenges that we all go through. I went through my challenges. They go through their challenges. We all go through challenges. That's that's life. What would life be without challenges? As I'm sure we'll try to get touch on to later on. But the idea is very much, we want to wake up. We want to do something. You know, the Batichava, the lady Yitzhak of Batichav, so he once called all the Yidden in Baditcha for, for a gathering. Everybody's got to gather together. Men, women, and children. Everybody's got to be here together. So we can imagine the excitement, the anticipation that was existing over there in Baditcha. You know, it, it must have been amazing. The Rebbe's got something important to say. Maybe he's going to say, when Mashiach is coming, what's going to be? What's he going to announce? And everybody crammed into the shul. Everybody crammed over there. You know, women in the women's section, the men in the men's section, the kids tagging along. It was exciting. And the Rebbe got up, the Eilig got up, and he said, Rabbi Sai, just don't forget, there's a Rabbi Nishalaylam. End of speech. And he got down. And everyone was shocked, like, what? What's going on over here? And, and the answer is obvious. Sometimes we'll go through the motions, but we won't feel it. And, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about that and something that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis with, you know, guys in yeshiva, Guys, from outside Yeshiva, I get emails from literally around the world from people. What do I do in this situation? And, and we'll talk about that. But that's something we want to speak about. Yiddishkeit is gewaldic. Yiddishkeit is so vibrant. It's so exciting. It's so much color to it. But we have to tap into it. And that's something that, you know, I do myself in the Yeshiva. Because I like to make myself. I get chizik. I can't tell you how much chizik I get from the boys. You know, we, we know we all know Chazal with Tamidim Yosef Mikulam. We learn from our Tamidim the most, and it's so so true. I see this on a day, mamish a daily basis, from what I get from the boys, from what we teach the boys, what we learn together, we're Chazik together. The whole purpose of opening up my yeshiva, I always tell the boys to open up a yeshiva. You've got to be number one. You've got to be completely crazy. Like, why would someone do such a thing? There's no covet. There's no money. The only reason you're doing it is simply to help people, because there is no other reason you're doing it. And it's so beautiful, it's so gratifying, it's so incredible, it's hard, it has its challenges, like everything. But it's so beautiful to see that what we are doing is, is, is working, Baruch Hashem, for our boys. The, the reason why I set it up was simply for that reason, is to get guys to have more of a geschmack from Yiddishkeit. You know, boys from most, I believe every yeshiva really should be doing so much me, so much more, and so much like what I'm doing. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm trying to make the, a change in the world, like Rabbi Sol Salanta said, you can't change the world. That you could change, you know, yourself and maybe a few people around you. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to change myself. I'm trying to change a few people around me by, by just looking at Yiddishkeit and in, in Yeshiva, the curriculum, what we do 
is what I believe everybody should be doing. And I've been consulted from different places who want to open up yeshivas in a similar way, in a similar form. And it's the greatest compliment. When, when a Rav will call me from America, for example, and I've had that a few times, we want to open up what you're doing in America. We need to open up the same thing. And, and it's so true. And again, I'm not putting down any other system and any other yeshiva. The yeshiva system is gewaldic for many, many boys, and it's doing great things. But for many, it's not. And for many, it's difficult. And for many, it's hard. And that's what we need to do. We need to give the next generation that gishmat. Because if you think about it, if we don't do that, then they're going to have, like my mashkiach, always used to say, you know, everyone's going to find the gishmak in something. The question is what it's going to be a gishmak in. If we give our children, the future generations, a gishmak in Yiddishkeit, a gishmak in davening, a gishmak in Shabbos Kodesh, a gishmak in learning, a gishmak in everything, so then they'll have that gishmak. If not, they're going to find another gishmak, and that's probably going to be dangerous. So therefore, it is so crucial for ourselves and for future generations to give over that gishmak. But of course, we've got to have it in us ourselves to be able to do that. And it's something that by, sometimes just by thinking, stopping to think, you know, I, I say this muscle so many times, but it's like so true. And, and you know, if you've heard it from me, it's in, um, you have a guy that's in a gas station, you know, in England, petrol station. You have a guy's in a gas station and um, he's noticing something very interesting on the corner of his eyes. He's waiting for the petrol, the gas to fill up. So he finishes his, you know, Diet Coke, his Coke Zero, whatever. And he pays the money for the gas and he goes to check out the situation. And he sees a crazy thing. He sees two workers, you know, with the yellow jackets being paid by the government. And uh, one of them, they both have spades. One of them is um, digging a hole. And he sort of puts the earth next to the hole. And then he moves on to the next place where he's going to dig the hole. The next guy takes his spade, picks up the earth that the first guy dug, and then put, put it back into the hole. And that I, he's like, this is what I pay my taxes for? This is crazy. This is a waste of money. This is ridiculous. What are you guys doing? So the guy says, excuse me, sir, we're doing very, very important work. My job is to dig the hole. Now, um, David's job, who's not here today, he's sick. His job is to take the little plants, the little, little, little saplings, little, little plants, and to put them inside the hole. And the last guy, his job is to put the earth inside. So we figured that David's not here this week. There's no reason why we shouldn't continue our work. And the answer is that that's ridiculous. Stop and think, what are you doing? So many times in Yiddishkeit, it, we have the answers ourselves. We know the answers. I don't believe I'm going to say anything tonight that's a chiddush to anyone, right? We all know the Hagdamat and the Mesilis to show him where the Ramchal himself says, I'm not saying chiddushim, but sometimes we just need to hear it because we need to stop and think, what are we doing in life, right? What, what is going on? What is happening? I once had the discussed of giving in, in Yeshiva a series on the seven habits. There's a famous book out there, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. So I gave a series uh, based on Yiddishkeit, meaning we use the book as, as, you know, as a propel, we use the book as a, uh, you know, as a jumping part, but it really it was all RP Yiddishkeit and RP Torah. And one of the things, one of the things he talks about over there is he calls the chapter sharpening the saw. You have a guy who's busily got a saw and he's, you know, smashing down trees, felling trees. And, and it's, a, it's a blunt knife. And you say to him, like, hello, it's a blunt knife. Don't you think you should sharpen the knife? And this way you'll be more effective in what you're doing. And he's like, I don't have time for that. I need to go and cut down all the trees in the forest. And you're like, think about it. Stop for a moment. Do you realize how much more effective you would be? I think it's such, an, it's such a beautiful lesson for Yiddishkeit. 
Right, right. We can learn everything, right? Gemara says we can learn everything from the goyim also. There's what to learn from everyone. There's a lot to learn as well. And the idea is that we have to stop, think, sharpen our swords. So I very much think tonight that Ezra Hashem Yisbarach is going to be with Siyata Dishmai, the Rabbi Nishlam is going to help us, that we're going to be able to sharpen that sword. That after tonight, we're going to be more effective with our Yiddishkeit. We're going to hear the things we know. We're going to just stop and contemplate the Gavaldi Yiddishkeit that we have, the love that the Rabbi has for us, and how much Yiddishkeit has to offer. And Be'ez Hashem, with that, we should hope that uh, we're going to have a much more Yiddishkeit, and Be'ez Hashem, our families will be lit up, we will be lit up, and future generations of Yiddishkeit will be lit up, Be'ez Hashem. Amazing, beautiful. Okay, let's go to the polls. Let's let's ask a three-question poll, let everybody answer. Shmuley, I love you, bye. Okay, I'm moving. <laughs> Launch. Okay, three questions, okay? Everybody answer to the best of your abilities. It's anonymous, don't worry about it. Which of the following methods do you find most effective in igniting the spark of Yiddishkeit in ourselves? Okay, number one, regular davening and learning tarot. Option two, engaging in community services and volunteer work, chesed. Option three, talks for bringing, schmoozing, coming to Let's Get Real, that type of stuff. Or four, how do you find igniting yourself by his boy to the solitude, like really going deep in there? What works for you? Which flavor? This is like Coca-Cola, right? You know, on the machines, you can choose which one you want. Number two, what are some effective ways to connect with the youth? Oh, see, uh, you're muted. Sorry, steak. Okay. You muted. What's going on? What time? Did I say something? Did I do something? Okay, the first poll, everybody heard? Yeah? Okay. Second question. What are some effective ways to connect with today's with the youth in today's generation and ignite the spark you describe for them? So how do we... First question was for us. Second question was for the children. So four options. Limitatory musr. Learn with them. Number two, building a deep personal relationship with them. Three, give them speeches, schmoozing concepts, you know, logical. Or D, having fun with them together. Let's just have a good time. And the third question, when faced with challenges, how do you maintain a positive outlook and trust in Hashem's plan for your life? Three options. You seek guidance from a rabbi or a friend. Number two, reminding yourself of your past challenges and how you overcame them successfully. Or number three, practicing mindfulness and gratitude. So those are the three questions. Everybody answer to the best of your ability. It's anonymous. Rabbi Wiesenfeld has the right answer for every question. The correct answer? There's no correct answer. There's no correct answer. Whatever you want can answer. And then we'll get into it. And let's show everybody. We have Rabbi Wiesenfeld here, who unbelievable person, who's ready to ask, be asked any question, the hardest questions, and he wants to be asked. So please challenge him and push, push on him and make, 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 make his time worth waking up or going, not going to sleep. I don't know where whichever one he's holding. Make it worthwhile. Okay, we're going to end the poll. And then we're going to show the results. Okay, here we go. Rabbi Wiesenfeld, which of the following methods do you find most effective in igniting the spark of Yiddishkeit for ourselves? 30, it's a pretty much a split. 36% of people say regular prayer and davening. 20% of people say engaging in community service and chesed, like, you know, like, being like a tzola, or doing chesed. Number three, more talks and fabringing, 30%, and 14% are into spoiledus and solitude. Any comment on this? I think, you know, you can see the beautiful neshamas that everybody has. Everyone's got a different neshama. And the truth is, like you said yourself, 
There's no real answer to this question. Everybody has their mahalach and what talks to them. It, it's so, that's why it's so important, as I'm, as I'm sure will be mentioned, to have a Rebbe, to have someone that understands you, that you could talk to, that you can connect to. Because at the end of the day, what works for one person doesn't work for somebody else. And that's fine. And that's okay. You know, for, to, to, like, as we could see, regular prayer and Torah study. And, and davening is, is gewaldic. And Limbra uh, Torah was what, that was what, you know, before Hasidus came along, before the Volshentov came along, that's what they were Isakin. But the Volshentov came on for a reason. And he understood that, you know, Kralisol needed something else. And they needed more than just sitting and learning a Gemara. And, and we're seeing that nowadays as well. But yet we could see even the fabringing and everything that connects certain people. And I see that myself as well with various boys that come from different uh, backgrounds and different challenges that at the end of the day, for some people, Taka, sitting and learning, Taka works. It does. Like, Nimrat Torah has its own magic. There's no question about it. We can't take it away from there. But on the other hand, Fabringing sometimes can also do that as well. And someone can have such a dvekas to the Rabbani Shalom by Fabringing or he spoiled us by thinking about the Rabbani Shalom, which is, which is a moda gazach. So, yeah, they're all right. They're all gavaldi. Okay. Now, jump into the second question. What are some effective ways to connect with youth in today's generation ignite the spark for Yiddishkeit? Only 2% of people said Nimrat Torah and Musser. So... I don't know what's going on here. Sixty-four percent of people say having a deep, building a deep and meaningful personal relationship. Sixty-four percent. Only four percent feel speeches, schmooze, and concepts okay them work. So anything logical doesn't work. And the fourth one is just having fun times together is thirty percent. So I think the oh, oil feels having a good time and having a relationship is much more important than. I guess learning together and giving speeches. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, that's a hundred percent. That 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 I that I could that is no shiloh whatsoever. I, I give a lot of speeches, sometimes up to 25, 30 a week. But at the end of the day, I do feel that when I have a personal connection with with every boy, and that's the reason um I'm a bit worried, by the way. I'm a bit I'll just tell you my I'm a bit nervous by coming onto this show that the applications that are gonna come on is gonna be a little bit overwhelming and uh, which is a gavalic compliment, but there's a problem that I don't really want to have too many guys in the yeshiva. I love every boy in the yeshiva dearly. I love them so much. It's unbelievable. But like, I can't, you know, have too many guys. There's an issue with what? With deep, with having a personal connection, connection and relationship. I try, I try very, very hard to have a personal relationship and a chavusa with every guy in the yeshiva. Um, whether it's once a week, twice a week, every day, you know, each guy, whatever I could try and do. And basically most of my day is spent in yeshiva by doing that, apart from the shiurim and, you know, the logistics of working out things in yeshiva. But uh, thanks, Tully. That uh, it, it's it's really beautiful that I can able to spend time with each boy and and develop a relationship with each boy because that, that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, it's about a relationship with the boys and, and extends Baruch Hashem after they leave Yeshiva as well. I've got some of the boys that left Yeshiva that I, I love dearly and I'm still connected to them. I just saw them. I was in America. It was so beautiful to see some of the boys that were in Yeshiva. Eli, Gavaldik, Baruch Hashem. There's more. I can't see all the guys, but you know how it is. I'm, I'm trying to uh, focus on what I'm trying to focus on. Zev, ah, Aaron Dov, ah, Gavaldik, fine, Machala. Beautiful. It's so about, but that deep relationship, it's what it's all about. And if you're a parent out there and you're listening, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Nasameya, it's it's all about that shaman. It's it's mamish, it's all about that relationship, you know, relationship with the Rebbe, relationship with a parent, relationship, whatever it is, that's for sure the way, and you can see that from the polls. Okay, last question. When faced with challenges, how do you maintain a positive outlook and trust in Hashem's plan for your life? 40% of people say seek guidance from a rabbi or a friend. Only 14% of the people reminding yourself of your past challenges that you have overcome successfully, like, you know, reflecting. And 46% of the people were practicing mindfulness and gratitude. 
No, Rabbi, what's your mahalach? I would say, first of all, that the last two are very similar. In other words, there's a connection between reminding yourself of past challenges and also practicing mindfulness and gratitude, because often by reminding yourself of what you went through and how far you've come and what you've managed to accomplish, that often gives a person a certain you know, amount of mindfulness and gratitude that he has. There's no question about it. But uh, seeking, you can see seeking guidance from a Rebbe. Again, it's that personal relationship. You can see clearly the Olam are looking for a shaykhist. The Olam are looking for a relationship. You know, there are wonderful speeches out there. there are, there's amazing platforms with great speeches from amazing Rabbonim from all over the world with great expertise. But at the end of the day, nothing replaces that guidance from a Rebbe one-on-one or even from a friend like the Mishnah Prokhyavis tells us. And uh, gratitude. Yeah, gratitude is for sure the way to go. When a person realizes what he has, and I'm sure we'll touch upon it later, then, you know, all the challenges that we have, and we all have challenges, can be so, so put into perspective by looking at where we're holding. Yeah. Okay, let's go to a live question. We're going to start with a live first. Amir. Okay, let's go. Hi, Rabbi Weisenfeld. Thank you for taking my question. Um, so my question is more uh, related to the idea of there are different mitzvahs out there. Um, it's really to all mitzvahs, but there's specifically a lot of different mitzvahs where the nekuda of the mitzvah is to have a hergish and a meaning, and to find meaning within the mitzvah, whether it could be davening, it could be emuna, bitachain, where, you know, just saying emuna is not, that's not the point that the, the the tachlis is to have them enough to feel the bitachim and or davening to Hashem, tveikos or anything. And something I feel hard is that as much as I, let's just say with a bitachim, I could listen to many different shiurim. I could listen to shiur be'ian. I listen to your shiurim. I learned the sefer inside and I, I try to practice it. I try to learn it. As much as I do, I just feel that it's like something is not going inside. It's not penetrating. And the, the, the hergish, the value, it just doesn't come. And the same could be with tefillah or anything. We're sitting in the sukkah and we're supposed to feel anani akavoid or something or, you know, that we're surrounded by Hashem or something. I don't feel that Pesach, I eat the matzah, I don't feel cherus, like, and I keep on trying. What is it that I am missing? I want to make sure you like the cream cheese, all right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I so want to make sure sure that we're talking about a healthy problem. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what, what is it that I'm missing, or what is the tactics? Why are we not getting there? As much as we're trying, we want to get to that feeling, to that experience. What's stopping us that we should be doing differently, and we should stop and analyze? Beautiful. What a beautiful question. It's a beautiful question because it's, it's such a common question that I believe that so many people have, but they're probably very embarrassed to ask that question. And they feel like, oh, if I ask that question, like, what's everyone going to think of me? They're going to think, what type of Jew am I? What type of Yiddish guy? What connection do I have? But it's such a common question. I cannot tell you I've seen that question in, in, in hundreds of forms over the years, whether it's by email, by face-to-face, -face, phone call, whatever. And... Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful question. That's number one. Really, really special question. Thank you for asking that and bringing that up. What do we do? Uh, we all have that uncertain extent. So I, I, first of all, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. This is the generation that we are living in. And, and that's the challenges. 
It's not a bad thing. This is the Rebbe Nishlam has placed us in this generation specifically with this set of challenges so that we should be able to do something. I'll just give you an example. There's an unbelievable morale, the morale of Prague. Netzach Yisrael brings this down. This is incredible. He says, and he foretold that according to the Hashgacha uh, Pratis, according to the divine plan of history, most Yidin, pre-Moshiach, right, will be irreligious and will be not well connected to Yiddishkeit, right? That's what he writes. He writes this in Netzach Yisrael. Ultimately, he says, those Yidin will make an independent decision to do tshuva, each on his level, of course, and, you know, repent and go back to his heritage. Says the Maral, this is so necessary. You know why? Because the Rabbi Shalom says the Maral does not want to bring Mashiach to a bunch of robots. The Rabbi Shalom wants to bring Mashiach to Yidim that are on fire, to Yidim that are excited about Yiddishkeit. And that can only be attained, says the Maral, through personal inquiry, through personal struggle, to a hard-earned discovery of the MS, which means that according to this incredible prophecy of the Maral, we are in a generation where it's meant to be difficult, where we feel disconnected. And when we feel that way, we shouldn't feel that we're doing something wrong. And, and maybe, you know, who knows if Yiddishkeit is the right way and who knows. No, 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 it's right. This is perfect. This is how it's meant to be. And the challenge is often the way that we get there. I'll tell you, also, Rav Shlomo Freifeld, Master Machanach, Rav Shlomo Freifeld once said, the Birchas Torah that we say every single day uh, has two brachas, basically. Asher bocha bonu mikol ha'amim, that the Rabbi Nishram chose us from all of the nations. And he also gave us his Torah. You know, in the previous generation, before the war, even just after the war, the second part of that bracha was the most challenging. was very difficult for Klal Yisrael. To keep Shabbos, Kiyodua was hard. To keep Kashus was so difficult. It was hard to be a Yid. It was hard to practice Yiddishkeit. Keeping the Torah was challenging in a very practical way. Very, it was it, that was the difficulty. The Nasalonu es Tayrasai. So, Rabbi Freifeld, in our generation, it switched. It switched to the first part of the bracha. That the Rabbi Nishalalim has chosen us to be his nation. And that's something that we have to stop and think. And if you're asking, what should we do? And you mentioned so many mitzvahs, you mentioned Pesach, you mentioned Sukkah. You know, it, it's so true. At the, um, I think, one of the one of the gedolim, I don't remember now which one it was, was by the Chavetz Chaim, and he asked the Chavetz Chaim the following kasha. I think it was uh, a Friday night, and the Chavetz Chaim was speaking, and he asked the Chavetz Chaim the following. He said, "Rebbe, you know, we know the mon tasted of whatever you wanted it to taste like. He wanted it to taste like sushi, got sushi. He wanted it to taste like pizza, got like pizza. Whatever you wanted it to taste like." He asked the Chavetz Chaim, "What happened if you ate the mon and you didn't think of anything that it should taste like? What did it taste like?" And the Chavetz Chaim answered, it tasted of nothing. And the Chavetz Chaim said a message and a lesson for all of us. Yiddishkeit is the same. Yiddishkeit is so beautiful and so incredible. But if we don't stop to think, then we're not able to taste the beauty and tasting of all the flavor that it has within it. So number one, to answer your question, you're not doing anything wrong. This is our generation. This is our challenge. 
And when it's difficult to feel it, we have to continue and do it. And see my rights in the forum so many times. You get to Dublin, you're ready to excite it. It could be Rosh Hashanah morning. You think Rosh Hashanah, this is great. I'm ready to mommish storm the heavens. And you feel like a stone. I don't know if anyone here has felt the same way, but sometimes we feel that way. We're so excited. We're ready to go and everything's there. We've got our art school books of every type ready on the table. It's like we've read everything. We're ready, all excited. We're all, and yet we're stones. It just doesn't go. And we think, what have we done wrong? We've done nothing wrong, but we have to keep on thinking, internalizing and realizing that the Rabboni Shalom wants us to have a connection with him. Just like we saw from the polls, that people want a connection with their Rebbeim, with the highest sources, every single one of us yearns for that geschmack, for that connection with the Rabbi learning. So keep on going, tapping into the Gedusha, keep thinking about what you're doing, and you'll see Be'ez HaShem, through that, the Rabbi Nishlam opens up so much Shefa. Okay, Rabbi Wiesel, I want to jump to this question, it's a little bit out of order, but the reason I'm jumping to it is because I got an email right before the share, and that person's live on, so I'm asking, asking for them because they're here. I'm a 15-year-old boy, and I find it very hard to connect with Yiddishkeit. My parents, who I have a loving relationship with, don't know I, that I, but I do things on Shabbos I should I, I shouldn't be doing. I eat in not kosher places. What can I do? How could I help myself? Wow, that's a great question. That's a great question, which I believe many people many people suffer with. They don't feel connection, and uh, that leads them to do whatever it is that's that's not exactly uh, the correct thing to do. And uh, sometimes they they can't even reach for help from their parents. Like I get a emails from a bunch of people that you know they can't reach out to anyone they they'll create a new email address even just to ask me because like they don't want me to track them or whatever it may be and you know whatever they're doing is 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 difficult to see and difficult to hear and difficult to to realize but um it's a common question what can you do what can you do so the truth is i, I you know i want to mention like, maybe a, a very important idea which i think can help for maybe many of the questions that are going to come in Perhaps this can this can help to that. You know, what is the reason why we don't enjoy Yiddishkeit? What, what is the reason why there's a boy out there, a young boy, 13, 15, whatever, whatever it was, who's, who's, you know, on Shabbos, he's doing the wrong thing and he knows it's wrong. He doesn't need me to tell him, you know, no, no, to do that. Also, no, nobody needs to hear that. They know what the right thing is. Why are they not doing it? So I very much believe that one of the reasons why people don't enjoy Yiddishkeit or don't connect to Yiddishkeit, perhaps this can answer this boy's question, and, and that is because Yiddishkeit and themselves are two separate parts. There's me and there's Yiddishkeit, okay? Which means I want to do A, B, and C. I've got tivers. I've got certain drives. I want to do certain naveras. They're so gishmak. They look gishmak, at least from the outside. I want to do these things. So the problem is that Hashem doesn't let me. And the Torah is not allowing me to do that. It's annoying. It's getting in my way. I hear this from guys all the time. I hear from girls all the time. I hear from parents. I hear from young people, old people. It, it's so restrictive. Why, why can't I do that? You know, I want to I wanna sleep in in the morning, but no, I've got to come to Shachlis. I, you know, Shabbos and Kashris. I want to go out and have a good time. Minion. I've got to keep kosher. And all of these things. So there's a constant battle with what I want to do and then what the Rabbonishon wants me to do. And then I have a trouble connecting them. And that is a, a very, very, very big issue, which means that every bit of Yiddishkeit, every halacha, everything in, in the Torah has to go through my head in such a, a huge battle. Then, you know, if it passes the section of going through, because it's like, I don't want to let it in, but like I have to, and I feel I need to, and I feel guilty if I don't, whatever it is. So what do we do? What's the answer? Again, I don't know the answer, but to share with you some of the ideas that I've shared with others, which I felt worked, is that if a person 
is Megala his neshama. Now, this is a little bit deep, but if, if we try, I think every single one of us can do that. Um, we're all familiar, I'm sure, or if we're not familiar, maybe we should get familiar with the writings of the Tanya. And the Tanya writes in Parakalaf how a person is a chelik alakar, mamash, a chelik of the rabbi shalom. And he explains it in great detail how it's not the rabbi shalom, his Torah, and me. We are a chelik of the rabbi shalom. We are a chelik of the rabbi shalom's Torah. And, and when we keep that Torah, as Tanya says in Perik Dalad, everything changes because we're Kaviyachal, the Lashon of the Tanya, is we're giving a hug to the Rabboni Shalom, Kaviyachal, whatever that means on a high level. In other words, yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are difficulties. Yes, I don't feel connection. But Yiddishkeit is not separate to me. If we combine the two by understanding and realizing that what the Rabbanu wants is really what I want, but the only things that are separating me are the hardships and the challenges. But if we realize those are the things that get us more connected by being able to overcome those challenges, then everything all of, all of a sudden changes. Because we realize that the Yiddishkeit that we are having is not separate from us. In other words, it comes from us that we want to do that. So if there's a boy out there that's struggling with, with Shabbos Kodesh or with Kashrus, or davening, whatever it may be, you need to take a step back. You need to realize, what is your neshama? How were you created? The Rabbi Nishalom created you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants you. He wants to give to you. That's why you're in the world. So he, every bit of Torah, every halacha that you keep, gets you more and more connected to the Rabbi Nishalom, just like when we have, when it's, you know, the Habda El Abdullah, a boss, or even our parents. We want to listen to them because we love them. Like Rabbeinu Yonis says in Perkyavos, we should want to serve the Rabbeinu Shalom not because we're scared, not because we're worried about the outcome, but because we love him. If we stop to think about our relationship with the Rabbeinu Shalom, then everything changes because we realize that the Yiddishkeit and the halachas that come together with it are really for us. So if it's hard and it's difficult, we get that. That's okay. And, and that's fine. Many people, you know, get have many difficulties and many challenges. Everybody's in their own little peckle. We all know we'll only take our own peckle back. But at the end of the day, after all of that is said, easy thing to say, but to realize it and to, to internalize it and to think for a moment, what am I doing? I want to get connected. What type of life do I want? What type of home do I want? That all changes very, very much what, how we react and how we keep the mitzvahs in our way. Very good. Um, I'm just going to read a question that I guess a parent sent in, needing some guidance. My son is by mitzvah. And isn't putting on film and misses many, many, many times. Doesn't seem to have much interest and appreciation for these mitzvahs. What can I, as the parent, help him out? How can the parent ignite a love for learning and uh, to get him to do whatever he lacks the interest in learning? He simply rather play and run around, busy with everything and anything besides learning and davening. Wow. That's a loaded question, first of all, because it's a hard question. It's, you know, when you're dealing with chenach, it's very hard to get up and say, this is the mahalach. This is what we need to do. Because everybody's different and everybody's different relationship. And everyone reacts differently as well. You have to know your own child. It's very important to know and understand your own child. You know, chenach doesn't mean to get the child to do what you want them to do. That's not what real chenach is. That's what the parent wants. And that's what we call Yiddish Anachas, when, you know, the children give us the Anachas because what we're looking for. But that's, that's a little bit selfish. And we really need to be able to give our children what they need in the best possible way for themselves. 
Now, the best way for a parent to do that is by example. At the end of the day, we can, you know, somebody once asked me to speak on a topic um, of um, for parents, speak on a topic to in order to give over to their children, do as I say, not as I do. Right. That's what the parent wanted to, to, to hear, to give over to their children. And there's a there's a famous there's a famous story that, uh, you know, sometimes the kids make like a mock Shabbos. Uh, Shabbos comes in late, especially from England. Like, you know, Shabbos can come in really, really late. So the kids want to get involved and they can't necessarily stay up and you don't want to make early Shabbos for whatever reason. And the kids get together and you put, you know, mummy, you know, Shabbos mummy and Shabbos tati and they like the candles and the tati. has got the kiddush in front of him and the chalas and it's so beautiful. And this this young little boy, seven, eight-year-old boy, so he, uh, you know, copies and mimics his father's kiddush in such a beautiful way. He's got his becher of grape juice so excited to down a whole cup of, you know, beautiful cold Kedem American grape juice. And he's picking up the kiddush and he's saying over the kiddush exactly like Tati. And it's so great. He puts down the kiddush. He drinks it. He leans back on the chair. He says, oh, been a schwera week. You know, they pick up so much from what we are. So when there's a parent who wants to know, what do we do for our children? You know, it's not what, what what can we tell them to do? How can we get them to do what we feel they should be doing? It's what can we do in ourselves? And by the way, so much of Chinuch is working on ourselves, becoming greater people, becoming more connected people, becoming better people, working on ourselves. And through that, our, ch- our children also are able to relate to that as well. So what would I tell a parent in that situation? I would sell, tell the parent, start working on your relationship, get a better connection. Make your house a house where Shabbos Kodesh is coming. Let's prepare it to be able to set the table. I say to my kids sometimes as well, who wants the schus to be able to set the Shabbos table, right? It's a schus. And sometimes they can't be bothered, so I'll do it myself. That's fine. But I show them, I try as much as I can, that it's kishmak, that it's interesting, that I want to do it myself. When the child sees that the parent is connected and again, there are different ages and there are different stages. And it's impossible for me to answer this question on one platform for everyone. And everyone's got a specific circumstance and situation. But in a general rule for a parent that's listening, that wants to be able to do this for their children, look into yourself, get that connection, try whatever you can to look and see what you can do to improve in your home, to make that geschmack, to make Yiddishkeit interesting, to make Yom Tovim interesting, buy various books, buy various toys, buy nash, buy whatever you can do, Chazal tell us, that we're meant to make people happy on Yom Tov and Shabbos by buying whatever talks to them. And that's what's important, right? Pesach is coming. We have to speak the language of our children, not what interests us, not the Seder that we want to give, but rather the Seder that our children want to hear. And that's what's an important thing. We have to mechanach our children in a way that's going to be, you know, Yiddishkeit is, is beautiful. It's sweet. It's beautiful. Not always do we see that. Not always do we recognize that. And as parents, we have the ability to give that over to our children. So that's something we should think about and try to tap into. Okay. Rabbi Wiesenfeld, I told you when you come on here, we give you only the easy questions, right? Whatever you want. I'm not saying I have the answers, but I'm going to try. Listen, I can I'd be a great listener. Isn't that why we pay you the big bucks? Yeah. Okay. Easy question. My life has a lot of personal challenges, and every time I hit another problem, I completely fall apart. Keep on, I keep on feeling like Hashem hates me, and everything in my life is really horrible. How can I turn, how can I turn around this, my reality of negativity mindset and start appreciating some things in my life? Wonderful, wonderful. That's a, 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 that is a wonderful question. 
once again, uh, you know, all of these the questions that, that are coming in are questions that are so common and, and, and so important because they affect everyone. And I would say what you could do, and this applies to all of us, you know, what we need to do in order to gain happiness and to be, you know, satisfied with who we are and what we have is to often concentrate and highlight all of the good things that we have. Uh, which we often don't do enough. We should do. We know we should do it, but we don't do it enough. When we do that, everything changes. I, I've done this with people. I'll give an example. Um, this is a this is a, uh, this is a story. This is a true story. In fact, Ravid Demel, I think, said over that uh, a man walks into shul for Myrev one night. He looks a bit down. He looks a bit, you know, upset. Whatever. So the rob goes over to him after Myrev and says, uh, you know, Yankala, what's going on? Is everything okay? Is everything uh, where it should be? What's happening? So the man tells the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, listen, you know, I was meant to take a flight last night to a very, very important business meeting. And uh, I missed the flight. It was so hard. So the rabbi said, oh, okay, no, 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 you don't understand. It was a business meeting. I lost a lot of money. I had to be there, whatever. So the rabbi said to him, I have a question for you. What happens if you read in the news this morning that that plane went down and 450 people, Rahman and Islam, were died from that plane that you were meant to be? And what, what would your reaction be? He said, well, I'd make a kiddish. I'd make a celebration. Wow, I'm alive. That's amazing. The Rav said to him, you're in Russia. You have to wait for 450 people to die in order to have, thank you, the Rabbi Shalom, in order to have Hakar Sator. That's ridiculous. But the truth is that we all, you know, in some way are quite similar to that in that we don't realize what we have in our lives. We don't realize some of the challenges that we have are, are meant to be there for our growth. And they're not easy. And we don't ask for challenges. For sure not. But everybody has challenges. And everybody has the challenges that are tailor-made for them. But if we learn to concentrate on the good that we have, then everything, everything changes. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, this is a true story. Somebody, um, there was somebody that was hired by a, a teacher. And uh, to be in a school, they moved to the area. They got hired as a teacher. They were all excited to start teaching future generations. And they started teaching. It wasn't going so well. Eventually, they got fired after the end of that year. And they were so down Sibrochen, that they left the community, had no work. Husband had to find the work somewhere else. And she was all upset. Her you know, aspirations of being a teacher went down the drain. Anyway, a couple of years later, this woman calls up the previous principal. The principal gets a phone call from this woman that she fired. And uh, you know, she, she picks up the phone, hello, and she says, oh, yeah, it's me. And she, the principal is like shocked, like, oh, hello, why are you calling me? So she says, I'll be honest with you, I left the community. It was very hard for me. It's been already three years. I haven't taught since. But, you know, I decided there's a teacher's training course. I'm going to do this course because I want to teach and I really want to teach. And I want to know how to teach in the best way. So one of the assignments that we got in this teacher's training course was to find the person that we hate the most and call them up. So I'm calling you. The principal was like, oh, great. But then they said, um, she said we were given an assignment to find 10 things that we actually like about that person, what they did good for us. And uh, I started to go through it. And I started to go through all of the good things that you did for me, whether it was bring me a cake when I first moved in, whether it's even giving me the job, whether it's introducing me to the other teachers. And I realized, you know something, it's actually not so bad. So we sometimes have to stop and think about our lives, about what we have in our lives. And then everything changes. Somebody came to their therapist and said, you know, I, I can't work in this place anymore. My work is terrible. The boss, the, the workers, the everyone is horrible. I can't work with them. I can't be with them. They're the worst people. It's a, it's a disaster. So the therapist says, oh, this is ridiculous. Is there anything good about your work? No, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's the worst work. Worst people work with me. I can't, I can't, I can't be there. 
The therapist says, one second, hold on a second, hold on a minute. Do you get paid or is it free? Of course I get paid. Oh, okay, write that down. That's number one. You're getting paid for your work. Number two, do you get paid on time or do you get paid late? I get paid on time, obviously. Like, what do you, what, yeah, so write that down. Number three, how, how close is work to your home? Do you have to travel a long time? Oh, it's actually really around the corner. They came up with 10 things that are actually quite positive about their work. Therapist said, listen here, I want you to go in front of the mirror once a day. Say those 10 things. Come back to me in two weeks. She's like, okay. He comes back after two weeks. He says to the therapist, unbelievable. Everyone's changed. Everyone at work are changed people. And the answer is, no, they're not. You are. Often, when we look at life and we see what we have and we're like, oh, no, this is terrible. This is bad. It's depressing. And this is hard. And it's challenging. Yeah, there are things that are challenging. We're not here to ignore things. We're not, not you know, we're not uh, shying away from the problem. But if we start to realize and focus on the good that we have, and we all have good, and we have, all of us have so much that the Rebunsham does for us. And, and I think if I remember correctly, I don't remember exactly the text of the question, but how much the Rebunsham loves us. I think that was part of the question. I, I feel Hashem hates me. And I hear that from people. You know, why, why is Hashem doing this to me? He obviously hates me, right? Hold on a second. Take a step back. Why did Rebunsham create us? What are we doing here on the world? The Rebunsham loves us. And he's giving us a challenge because he knows that that's what we need to survive. That's what we need to thrive. That's what it is. The coach goes and tells the guy, you've got to do 10 sit-ups. And nobody else gets that. And he thinks, chutzpah, coach, why are you picking on me? No, he's not picking on you. He just sees in you there's so much more. You can go much further. So whenever you feel, and this applies to all of us, because we all have challenges. And we all have times that like, oh my gosh, it's getting way too much for us. Think and stop for a moment. That challenge is going to help us become the person that we were sent down on this world to accomplish and to become. And when we think of all the good that we have, and we think of how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us and put us in this world, that again, with work, it's easy to say and harder to put into practice. But the more we do this, the more we practice this. I've done this with guys. I've sat with guys who are having a hard time and I've told them this. And many, many of them you know, could be listening, could be not listening, but I've told this to guys, try Focus on the good. Find one thing. Any of the guys know that I try this with the guys. Try, find one thing a day that the Ravon Shaman does good for you. Write it down. Put it on your phone. Write a piece of paper. Think of it in your head. You will see after a while, your mind will start shifting towards that. It's what we call in the psychology books, the missing tile syndrome. You know, you walk into a room. The only thing you notice is, oh my gosh, there's a missing tile there. One second. Did you not notice the rest of the roof is beautiful? But we tend to focus on that. And we all do that. But the more we start focusing and practicing on the good and realizing it and saying it and writing it, like the Marel says, the more senses we use, the better. Everything changes. I promise you. I'll try it. You'll see. We have a lot, a lot of questions. Are you ready? Can you handle it? Yeah. 4.27 a.m. Let's go. Okay. You just woke up. Here we go. You're on. Okay. So my question is, I've been um, watching your videos, your weekly videos. I'm signed up and I, I see the events that you do for the guys in the yeshiva. And I read your article recently, you had a written up article in the Ami magazine. I was amazed. And what I realized, and this is what made my question was, you are so accepting to all types of people. Like to what extent are we supposed to be accepting to other types of people in different types of Yiddish guys? Like, to which extent are we supposed to accept them? And at what point are we supposed to say, wait, this is not acceptable. This is inappropriate behavior and you shouldn't encourage it. Wonderful. Wonderful question. Great question. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for that. 
I appreciate the feedback. It really is. Um, as much as people think, you know, you don't need feedback. You don't need compliments. Everybody needs compliments. Everybody needs feedback. We all do. And if we all could take the exercise of finding anyone in our lives that did anything for us and just send them a thank you and send them I love you and I appreciate you, you can't imagine how far that goes. You know, it, it really, really, really does. And you'll be surprised that everybody needs chizak and everybody needs uh, thank you. So I thank you for that feedback. It's really special to hear. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what it is. I, it's, a, it's a hard question because... You know, what are the boundaries and acceptance also depends on your role. It depends on who you are. Who are you accepting and why are you accepting them? You know, by me, I'm very accepting by many, many people because, you know, if it doesn't affect me or others, so then why not? Let's accept everyone. Yiddishkeit is beautiful. There are many ways of serving Hashem. We saw that from the polls as well. Many people have a different neshama that serves people a different way and there's no right or wrong way. Right. What one person is doing, nobody can say, well, you're doing things wrong. That's not the way we do things. You know, I've heard this from people like people even attacking me. You know, oh, you have yeshiva. Well, that's not how we do things. This is not what it was meant to be. Well, there's a lot to talk about that. This is not really the platform to discuss that. But there are so many beautiful ways. Yiddishkeit so Sogavaldik and the Rabbanishram created it in a way that it would be that way because everyone's different and we're all different. And that's fine. And what talks to one person doesn't talk to somebody else. Now, obviously, there are certain behaviors that are not, not appropriate and there are certain behaviors that should not be done or should not be looked upon in a favorable way. But we have to understand where are we coming from? You know, people will ask me, like, how can you accept a guy who's doing this and how can you talk to someone that's doing that and how can you help a person that's doing that? We have to remember, everyone's got their challenges and often, you know, just accepting someone and understanding where they're coming from changes so much by giving them the validity of, of, of who they are and what they're doing. You know, it's, it's, I see that very, very often with many people that I deal with. And, and like I said, many of them are boys in yeshiva, many of them are boys are not in yeshiva, seminary girls, people that send emails. It's irrelevant who they are, but I'm trying to relate to them and understand where they're coming from. When, when a Rebbe will come to me and say, you know, oh, this guy doesn't show up to Shachwe, so he doesn't come to Sheh. My first reaction will be, okay, do you know why? Did you understand where he, what he's going through? Do you know what's happening in his life? Because of, there's no reason why a person's doing something stump. Nobody does something out of spite. No one's doing something with Davka. Yeah, there are a few other exceptions to that rule. Maybe some people are angry. But the idea, even if a person's angry, he's doing it for a reason. He's doing it for a purpose. He wants validity. He wants understanding. He wants love. He wants, he wants help. Everybody wants to have a connection. Everyone. It's irrelevant who they are and where they're coming from. So it's, it's so important to accept them because who are we to say we know the mahalach of what the Rebbe wants and what the Rebbe wants us to act in a certain way. We're here all to get closer to the Rebbe Shalom. That's what we're here to do. That's the whole purpose. The Vilna Gaon said our whole purpose and existence on this world is taken amidus. That's what we're doing here. And it's challenging. Sure, it's challenging. Are there hard days? Sure, there are hard days. But at the end of the day, if we recognize that everyone has their challenges and everyone has their, you know, the way they were brought up and understand that the reason they're acting that way is maybe because they were brought up in a certain way or they don't know any better or they don't appreciate any better. They went to the system. Nobody told them anything about Geshmak and Yiddishkeit. They just told them, learn Baba Kama all day. Wow. And that would be wonderful, which maybe would have worked in the older generation, but we're seeing now today, it's not working. We need to do more. And Baruch Hashem, many, many yeshivas out there, many schools out there are doing more and they're doing a great, great job at it. But again, there are many that need to learn that as well, right? There's both ends of the spectrum. Like I said, we're not here to bash any system. The system is doing gavaldic to so many, so many kids, but there are so many out there that are not fitting within that. And we have to step up and we have to be able to do that. But if your question is, how do we accept so many people? Again, if someone's being Machal Shabbos, I'll give an example. When a parent or, or a Machanach will ask, what do we do? 
with a, a child that's doing the wrong thing. So the obvious answer is we have to separate the action from the person. In other words, the action doesn't make the person. What the person is doing is not them. It doesn't define them, right? The way the Tanya calls it, it's, it's the lavush, right? It's the around the neshama. It's dressing the neshama. It's not them. It's not who they are. And by the way, that's such a great chizik for ourselves. Because often when we get stuck in a rut and we do the wrong thing, we often think to ourselves, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm a terrible person. I'm a bad person. I'm a disgusting person. I'm a, I'm a dirty person. No, the neshama is beautiful. The neshama is clean, glistening, sparkling. Nothing you can do will ever, ever change your neshama, ever. And that's an important thing to remember. It's brought, all this form, it's, 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 it's obvious. Our neshama is beautiful. And therefore, when we look at others, we have to understand that. Yes, they may do the wrong thing. And of course, sometimes we have to be careful who we associate ourselves with, who we mix with, who we spend our time with. Because, of course, the, the Rambam says, the person does somewhat get magnetic you know, forces towards the, the environment that he's in. But if that's not affecting a person and he's able to help others or just to be there for them, just to understand them. Right. A, a fellow called me up from New York. He's, uh, he works in the uh, stock market in Wall Street. And um, one of his very, very good friends came out of being homosexual and uh, he basically left his wife and children, a whole story, which I'm not going to go into now. And he, he called me up. He said, what do I do? I've got like two, two to three minutes. He sent me a message. What do I do? Do I block him? Do I give him Musa? What, what do I do? This is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life. He has two beautiful children. He has a beautiful wife and he gave it all up because of that. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. So I told him, listen, and again, I, I'm not answering for many different situations. Every situation requires an answer. I said, I want you to be there for him. That doesn't mean, of course, it doesn't mean that you should say, well, go for it, go whatever you want, do whatever you want. No, of course not. But it means be there for him. Because often when you're there for someone, who knows in the future if he's going to need you or someone. And if everybody falls out of his life, he's going to have no one who'll never be able to come back. And I think that's an important idea of acceptance. That doesn't make who he is. He's falling. He's going through a bad situation. He fell in his challenge. Okay, we all do sometimes. But to accept him means to accept him as a person for his neshama, for why he was sent down to this world. Well, what do you tell, what do you tell a parent if one of the kids... They it doesn't work. The mahalach of the parents that it doesn't work, and they choose something that's not so uh homeradic, and they're they're growing, but the parents are not masking, and the parents it's hard for the parents to see that. Oh, you know, what can we tell the parents that they should understand the child, even though they want to be machanach in a certain way? Uh, so Again, this is, you know, it's also a loaded question because it depends on the ages and it depends on what type of chinech we're dealing with. Are we dealing with actual chinech where the child is young enough to absorb and to want? Or are we dealing with, as they call it, crisis chinech where it's already, you know, too late for that. And what we need to now shift into is now love and acceptance and warmth. Right. So it really depends on what we're dealing with. Of course, if the child is young enough to absorb and, you know, there needs to be structure. I, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that everything is hefka. Do whatever you want. Tell the kids to do whatever they want because we have to love them and accept them. You know, yes, we do have to love them. And yes, we do have to accept them. But at certain stages, there has to be structure and there should be discipline. A child craves for discipline. They may not tell you that. I've seen letters from children that went off the derech when they were much older and they realize that, you know, they tell their parents, why did you not give me any boundaries? I felt you gave up on me. And at a child who's leaving what we call the derech, whatever the derech is, and they, they realize that nobody cares about them and do whatever you want. Sometimes they feel, you know, they gave up on me. How do I know they gave up on me? Because they're not doing anything. 
sometimes when you see a parent trying, and again, depending on the relationship, depending on the ages, depending on the situation, then it shows them that the parent is still there for them and still wants them to do good, again, with the boundaries, of course, that they have to set up. So that needs obviously a bit more of a specific hadracha to the parent. But what I would say to a parent, if the child is already picking a different path, that means you basically set up the, the home and the children to be a certain way. And they're going a different way. So you want them to be this way for you often. It's often the parents who want them to be a certain way because the neighbors are watching, because people are watching, shidduchim are coming up. What's going to be with the shidduchim of the other children when they see him going out the house with jeans? Oy vavoy. A lot of it's all about the parents' own self-esteem and it's not really about the children. So I think the first thing a parent has to do is take a step back and think, hold on a second, am I doing this for the child or am I doing this for myself? That's really something that they have to think about. If they're doing it for the child, it has to be in the warmest, most accepting way that the child feels the love and knows that you love them. And that can be something that has to be built up. Anyone that's listening that hasn't got children yet, but Hashem, you should be zeichel to have children. And if your children are too young to go through this as well, realize that as soon as you have children, Build that relationship, build that love, because it's something that often cannot be built afterwards, or if it can, it takes a lot more effort. So you do it when it's young and show the kids that you love them. And even if the child, for whatever reason, is picking a different path, and if it's too late to stop them at that stage, learn to accept them and say, listen, I love you for who you are. I may not accept everything you do. I may not agree with everything you do. But that's fine. I've got my days. You've got your days. But you know what? You're always welcome in this home. You're, I love you. You're always welcome in this family because that is, after all, the most important thing for a child to have a connection with their parents, to have a connection with their family. That should never, ever, ever be lost on any circumstances. But again, again, if there's a specific case, then obviously that should be dealt with separately. Bobby, I feel your koichas through the computer. It's shaking. Ah. Okay. We have a lot, a lot of questions. Let's go. You're up. Oh, me? Yeah. Um, this is sort of a ties in with some of the questions that people said earlier, um, either lacking inspiration or, or you know, uh, but that that's not actually my problem or my problem with some friends of mine. They feel some, a friend of mine said she feels Jewish, but not religious or someone else, especially as a single woman felt she was just going through the motions. I, I feel a little bit, I mean, I don't have a problem with davening or learning, but there is a sort of imposter syndrome that I'm not really, I don't want to say maybe it's fake or inauthentic or I'm not as moral or spiritual as others or the way things ought to be. Um, I, I, interestingly, I, I go through this also in my, in my work, my profession, but I, I'm just saying that there's that, I guess it may be a certain feeling, that, I don't know if inadequacy is the word, but like just, uh, you know, I'm just presenting an image or, you know, so I, I don't know if, I, you know, I don't know really how to overcome that or, you know, the, to really, you know, feel that, yeah, I am, I am truly giving of myself and wanting to be a good Jew and, you know, you know, no, I'm not faking it. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm just putting on an act, but I don't know if some people do that struggle, you know, is it, are they really being authentic? And, you know, again, it goes beyond just inspiration. It's not, it's not, not running around the room waving sedurum or anything, but it's just more the, you know, you know, this maybe a certain alienation, like, do I really belong here? You know, these people are all, you know, the, more sincere on a better level, but Draga, you know, the, so I, I don't know, I don't know if you've encountered that, you know, 
you know, maybe I shouldn't make comparisons to other people, but you know, but, you know unfortunately I do. Yeah, so your thoughts. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. I, I, first of all, just to, just to reiterate that, I think that that is a thought that many people have. I don't think you're alone with that. I think many people have that. Sometimes, you know, we wake up in the morning and I, I said this earlier, you know, we just feel like a stone. Like, like what, what, what are we doing? Like, yeah. I'm trying to daven. I, I, the words are coming out, but like, is it really meaning anything? Yeah, like, you feel you know, foolish in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. It's a, it's a very, very common thing. And so the first thing you should know is that it's a common thing. And it's a thing that, you know, I often tell this to people that are struggling with things, you know, you're not alone. There's many people struggling and they're like, well, what does that help me? What do I care what other people are going through? And the answer is no, it's not true. Because the very fact that other people are struggling with it understands that you're not alone. And that there are people who are struggling with the same thing. It's a common struggle that you're going through. And like you said, it goes beyond the inspiration. And as we could talk tonight, a lot of inspiration, we could talk a lot of, you know, different chazak. But at the end of the day, when we switch off the computer, now what do we do? You know, when, when, when the share is finished, what are we meant to implement in our mm -hmm. lives? How do we do that? So I, I would say that possibly one one way, and I've, and I've done this with people to try and, you know, use this exercise with other people. And again, mm -hmm. and I, I say again what I said before, I'm not saying any chedushim, I'm not saying anything no one knows. Everyone knows these, but sometimes we just need to hear them. And that is one of the greatest insults we can give someone is I have no time for you. That's the greatest insult we can give someone. Mm -hmm. You know, just imagine a husband who's a very, very successful businessman. And he comes home from work after a, you know, a long day and his wife's been busy with the kids and she's making supper and cleaning the home and whatever. And he runs into the house and he's got a, another meeting to go to. So he just has to like quickly change and whatever and grab a bite to eat. And he runs in, you know, his wife's prepared a whole supper and he quickly sits at the table and says, I really don't have time for this, but I just need to eat something, get some energy, runs upstairs, changes his tie, runs downstairs. His wife is like, you know, and he's like, oh, one second. I forgot, I bought you a present. And he throws down like a diamond necklace on the floor and says, okay, I've got to go out for the night. I'll see you later. You know, he's bought her a beautiful, you know, $2,000 necklace, but she feels no, like no connection. The, the greatest insult you can give is have no connection. That's number one. And number two, if you want to build a connection with someone, then you have got to give them time. So I very much believe in Yiddishkeit, we all want a connection with Hashem. Then what do we do? To hear a great speech? Okay, yeah, 100%. We need to hear great speeches. They're important. As we saw from the polls, it's not the speeches that do it. It's that connection with a Rebbe or with someone else. Now, if we want a connection with Hashem, with Yiddishkeit, with, with Judaism, with what Yiddishkeit has to offer, mm -hmm. we need to build that connection. And building that connection means to be able to uh, to talk to him, to be able to talk to the Rabbi Nishlam. We saw that also in the polls of Gabi Spodas, right? The Chavetz Chaim. But this is, a, this is not so famous that the Chavetz Chaim writes himself that a person has to be Spodidus outside Shemona Esra. Of course, during Shemona Esra, we're talking to Hashem. But mm -hmm. he writes a few times a day, we should do it outside Shemona Esra. In other words, and, and you, from, from a woman's perspective, probably understand that much more deeply than a man, because women are often emotionally more connected that... That connection with Hashem is, is, is something that's so vital. And that can sometimes change a person's um, you know, perspective of Yiddishkeit and, and what it has to offer by having that relationship with Hashem. So a simple exercise would be was to stop and think and talk to the Rabboni Hashem throughout your day, throughout what you do. And when you have a relationship of talking to someone, so then even though you're not getting a physical, this worldly reply, but you're building a relationship and you can see what that does. You know, a fellow called me up from L.A. He told me that he met someone who was sitting and learning 17 hours a day, which is amazing. 
It's unbelievable. He said to the guy, so when do you, you know, do you think about the Rabbani Shalom? He says, I don't have time to think of Hashem. I'm learning the whole time. Now, obviously, that's a huge mistake because Limitato is meant to lead a person to connection to Hashem and to talking to the Rabbani Shalom, no question about it. But on our day-to-day lives, if we would look at the, the Yiddishkeit that we have and think about the Rabbani Shalom and how he sent us down into this world and start to talk to him, start to converse with him, change the way that we, the Rabbani Shalom isn't just, you know, yeah, he created the world and he's keeping the world going. We get that but he's also someone that we talk to, someone that we can relate to, someone that we could try and have a connection to and build a relationship with him. So then if we do that, then often that can change very much uh, again. And we'll have those hard days and sometimes davening and sometimes mitzvahs will be a little bit stale. We'll be a bit like, you know, like a rock. We feel nothing. The emotions don't come out, but yeah. Those or are just okay. feeling well, cynical. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Saying feeling cynical, I guess is even the biggest. Right, you feel a bit like, what am I doing? Am I actually doing? I'm yeah. shaking a little bit. I mean, I'm eating yeah, matzah. Yeah. I'm doubling. I'm saying to him, like I'm doing chesed. I'm giving stocker. Does it mean yeah. anything? Does it actually yeah. mean anything? So we, we have to take a step back. I think, like I said, we have to stop and sharpen the sword. We mm-hmm. have to think a little bit about what we're doing, and and it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to have a day that feels a bit shvach. It's okay to have a day where we're feeling a bit, you know, like you said, cynical, like what, what are we doing this for? But if we, as long as we lift ourselves up mm-hmm. the rest of the time and recognize that, it, that the reason we have a hard day or, or a bad day or, or, or a dark day mm-hmm. is so that we can get through it and pick ourselves up. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to affect the rest of our week or even the rest of our day. We're able to, you know, look positively of so much that we do have, recognize the positivity that we have, the gratitude mm-hmm. that we have for everything the Rabboni Shalom has. And slowly but surely, we're starting to piece together the puzzle of that incredible relationship that you see that so many people have. And when you see people with that relationship, you're like, why am I not having it? Am I doing something wrong no it just takes longer for you to get it you're coming from a different angle a different version whatever it may be but we're all it's all it's all it's all the rabbi from it's all his mitzvah it's all his Torah and if we feel a bit shvach a bit bad one day okay move on tomorrow's gonna be an even better day the next davening is gonna be even better today wasn't good that's what the rabbi wanted from me like with Timaya right we daven sometimes we still daven even if we don't feel anything because that's what the Rabbanu wants from us at this time. We recognize our relationship. And if outside the inspiration times, we work on that connection and that relationship, that can change so much. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, next live question. You're on. Hi, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and your experience. Um, I have two questions. So I find that we address parenting challenges and teaching challenges in schools, but we do that separately. And so it seems like it's a disconnect between these two systems, between the, you know, the home and the school, and both of which are available in children's lives. So even if the parents have a good relationship with their children and the home is fun and geschmack and all of that, the school seems to send an opposite message at times. So the, you know, the messages that sometimes I hear, you know, parents complain is like, don't ask, just do, or be like everyone else. Uh, you know, people are, are accepted only when they follow a very narrow mahala. So that's question one. What would you recommend? The question two is um, Hashem gives each person talents. And so these are the tools and the skills that Hashem gives them to use in their lives. But the schools as a system and FUM schools, we don't encourage it. We don't encourage, uh, you know, development of talents or any uh, outside curricular activities. So... This, you know, this system is a little narrow-minded, and kids find it restrictive. I guess you know, it depends on the on the on the community, but in some, you know, in some they do. So, question two is, what do would you recommend? You know, how would you recommend to develop these or not develop, or you know, converse with the schools, or what would you suggest? Amazing, 
Very, very, very well, well put together. Two great, great questions. Great questions that I believe many people have also. Um, one thing I want to I want to say as much as you know, there's a lot to talk about in these two questions, and, and you know, we're not going to be able to <laughs> with all of these questions. The truth is, right? Uh, as we you know, we know that all these questions require its own share, its own mahalach, its own uh, validity, and its own expertise. So we're just touching the surface just to give a little bit of chizek and to try and see what we can answer in the time that we have um, and, of course, in the platform that we're, we're dealing with. But first of all, I think every parent has to know that they have the job of chinech, of the children, right? If we read Krishma every single day, in Krishma it says very clearly that it's on the parent to go and machanach the child. It doesn't say anywhere about the school. It doesn't say anywhere about the yeshiva. Of course, they are tools to help a parent. But at the end of the day, the responsibility is on the parent. Now, we give over sometimes part of that responsibility to the schools, to the yeshiva system, to the chadorim, to the Beis Yaakovs, and we do that with trust. We do that because they were set up with a good reason, with the lishma, they want to help children. We're also not able to deal with all of our children at the same time, every single day. We've got panasa to make, we're busy, we're working, we've got busy lives, and we have to be able to do that with trust. Now, of course, we send the child, I hope, to a school that we trust, but ultimately, a parent has to realize, however good the school may be, the parent has got the greater kayach and power to impart whatever it is into the child. That's number one. Number two, you, you talk about the idea that schools, you know, come on sometimes with a different message. Maybe that you're not using the talents of the children and whatever. So obviously that depends on the, like you said yourself, it depends on the school. It depends on you know, certain schools are very encouraging of using talents and certain schools are not so encouraging and they've got a very narrow path. You know, like they say, what about, you know, the, the quote unquote going off the derech? If only if we would widen the derech, less people would go off from it. Right. So if everyone's got a narrow path, it's very difficult for many kids, especially if they're you know hard for them to learn, whether it's sitting or whether it's concentration, whether it's understanding to be able to relate to what's going on and really tap into what the school is doing. So we can't change the system. We're not here to bash the system. As I said, many, many schools and yeshivas and chadarim and beisakovs are doing an amazing job for our children. And I, I personally do see the result of many, many of these schools are doing great. But unfortunately, many of them are also lacking with some of this basic understanding of how to allow a child to flourish, how to allow, allow a child to think a little bit and do a little bit out of the box, which not every child is in the box, and it's okay to think and do out the box, and it's what brings out a child's natural koichas. But if you're asking from a parent's perspective, and this is obviously not discussing the schools, because this is not a, uh, a you know a Zoom for the Machanchim and for the, for the schools, that's for a different time, but if you're asking from a child, from a parent's perspective, what we can do, I think a parent has the greatest power, as I said before, to impart in our children the, and give them the empowerment to do so much more. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, a, a, a child told me this. This is a, a boy that went through a very, very challenging upbringing. Um, he still lives at home. He's not married. Beis Hashem will find the Shenach very, very soon. We really hope. But he's finding such a challenging time being at home, watching his parents who they were machanach him in what he believes the wrong way, and he's machanach in their, their, his siblings in what he also believes to be a terrible way. And there's nothing he can do about it. There's nothing he or the schools can do about it. And he told me the following moshal. When, when I heard it from him, it meant so much more than just coming up with the moshal. He said, you know, every parent gives their child certain compliments, certain uh, certain empowerments, and he said it's like poker chips. And he said, imagine 
if a uh, you know a, a parent comes down in the morning and tells the child, "Hey, good morning. How you doing? You're doing great. Look at you. You dressed so nicely. You got up so well, so quickly. You got dressed so this. You're eating breakfast nicely." And he gives them a pat on the back, and he gives them a hug, and he gives them a kiss, and he sends them off with a compliment. He's given them 10, 20, 30 poker chips. Whereas if you have a child that you know wakes up and the mother's like, and the mother and the father are running to work, and again, it's not no no their fault. We live busy lives and we do busy things, and we're trying to pay the tuition, we're trying to pay off our bills, and life is difficult, life is challenging, life is fast moving, and you have these parents that are running in and running out. Bye, have a nice day. They gave the child one poker chip, and he said, when the child comes to school, and this I think addresses your question, when the child comes to school and the teacher may say something that the child doesn't like. Or maybe the teacher will do something that the child gets agitated by and gets upset by. How many poker chips does do that, do that child have to be able to gamble with? If it's the first child that's given 10, 20, 30 poker chips because the parent left in the morning, or it could be the night before, it doesn't make a difference when it is, and has given the empowerment to that child, that the child feels empowered to be able to do much more and is able to cope with what's going on in school. Whereas if you have a child that doesn't get much at home, then it's going to, as the coping mechanism is going to be much, much weaker, which means what I'm trying to share with you is when you talk about the schools, and again, we're not here to change the schools. And I assume if you send to a school, you trust the school to a, to a very big extent and you should trust the school because they are doing a good job for the most part. But it's a parent that can give the greatest power to the child. And it's on us as parents to be able to give our children the greatest koyach, the greatest strength and the greatest empowerment to go through life. Life is going to have challenges and children should know that and they should see that. And you know what? If a child's going through a, a challenge, if a parent, I'm sorry, is going through a challenge, sit down with the child and say, you know something? We're going through a hard time now, whether it's parnosa, whether it's a health issue, whether it's whatever it may be, but we're going to get through this. It's okay. We're going to manage. Do you know what that does to a child? Do you know how you've empowered that child throughout their lives? That, the, yes, there are going to be challenges. And what we do when we get challenges is we don't shut down. And we don't just, you know, lose the plot and go completely crazy or hide in our beds. What we do is we fight those challenges. We're empowering our children. We show them we can use our talents. We show them that we are beautiful in the shamas. And maybe in school you're not able to do it, but outside school, let's do it. And as a parent, we all have the ability to do that. So that, I think, I hope, hope will answer somewhat of your questions. Okay, let's go to another live question. Okay, you're on. Hi. Hi. Hi, we can hear you. Hi. Um, I thank Hashem all day, every day for what he gives me. I appreciate everything he gives me. And I recognize that even what appears to be a negative becomes a positive when I look into it. But I do have negative thoughts that creep into my mind that I have trouble getting rid of. Um, I'm going through difficulties, but I always have. So how do I control uh, the negative thoughts? Like um, if, if, if uh, like my husband has cancer and if he's going for his chemo and he was supposed to be home at a certain time and he's late. Like I always like, maybe he passed out, maybe something happened, maybe, you know, the negative thoughts are always there. Or um, if I'm going away for Shabbos, we live with my younger son, um, his wife and his two kids and one on the way. Uh, if I'm going away for Shabbos, uh, I'll send him bye, have a great Shabbos. I'm sure you're glad to have a little privacy and not have us around. And he goes, Ma, why do you always present things in such a negative way, 
Why can't you just have a good time going away and knowing that we'll also enjoy our Shabbos? So why do I always present things in a negative way? Because I do think positive and I do see the good in the world, but I can't seem to, when, I, when it's about me, I can't seem to not put in that little stuff, you know? Wow. Wow. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing question. And, and I think once again, uh, we all, we all to a certain extent suffer from that, that we, like I said before, it's called the missing tile syndrome, that we'll walk into the room. And the first thing we will notice is there's a missing tile, but that doesn't mean, and I want to just reiterate that point, which I didn't say before, is that that doesn't mean we should ignore the missing tile. The missing tile needs to be fixed and we need to work on it, but that shouldn't be our focus. You know, a guy will come back from a wedding and he'll say, oh my gosh, the music was so loud. It was crazy. Hold on a minute. That's your get. That's your takeaway from the wedding. The, the food was great. The company was great. The lighting was good. Okay the, okay, the music was a bit, you know, deafening. But sometimes we often concentrate on the bad and the negative. And, and we all do that to a certain extent. And what do we do to be able to try and shift that and, uh, and focus more and realize more? Like you said, you do realize it. But why is it that you're still, you're still doing that? So I, I got a couple of thoughts I want to share with you. I, I knew a Yid who was Nifter not long ago. His name was Yudhisik Waldman. He went through the Holocaust and uh, and he used to sit in Shul. And I remember he used to sit in Shul. He was the he was he was a man full of so much simcha. There was I always saw a smile on his face. He was chaperoning the kids. He was giving them candy. He was smiling. He was going. He was mama a yid. He was a schmuck. He was, and, and and I couldn't believe it because I knew that he had had a very very hard life. Imamish had a terrible, uh, a very, very hard life. We should never know. He lost his first wife in the camps. He lost all of his money. He lost his children. He, he, he lost a lot. And he was so happy. And I plucked up the courage one time of asking him, Rabitzok, just tell me, how do you do this? How are you so positive? How are you so happy in a world that looks so negative, in, in, in the surroundings that are around us that, that, that you saw that was so you know, seemingly bad? And of course, we never judge anyone, especially anyone that went through those experiences. We never judge. And, you know, I just took the boys now. We just came back from Poland a couple of weeks ago. We were there before Purim. Such an incredible and powerful experience it is, by the way, um, to have that experience. It really was, it was amazing to see what they went through. We can never judge them. And we never do judge them. But I asked him, how are you so happy? How are you so besimcha? It doesn't make sense. And he said to me the following. He said, you know, if I cry, the world's going to cry with me. But if I laugh, the world will laugh with me also. And that's such an amazing idea that I gathered from him. And that is often it's our expressions and it's our perspective that we have can change not only our soul, but also the ones around us. Now, that, that this takes work. This is not easy. We are all born selfish. I don't, you know, I'm, I hope there's no one going to be shell-shocked by that statement. We are all born selfish. A child that's born as we know, if we've got our own children or Beis Hashem, or have our own children, or if we remember when they were babies, we have, you know, or, or like you just a grandchild, it's much easier the grandchild, you just give back the grandchild. You take the grandchild, you love them, kiss them and say, here you go, enjoy them for the night. But if we remember, we remember when the kids were young and, and newborn babies, you know, can be sometimes very tiring. They're very, very challenging because they're selfish. They only think about themselves. But the Rabbi created a child that way and us that way for a good reason. 
Because if a child would not be selfish, they wouldn't cry when they need food. They wouldn't cry when they need a diaper changing. We would never know what they need. So therefore, they're created selfish for a good reason to help them grow, to enable them to become who they become. Now, what we're meant to do is once we shift off from the baby from the newborn stage or become an adult, we're meant to shift from the uh, selfish stage and try to give to others and try to give back from everything that we've got. And sometimes people stay in that little bit of a selfish sort of everything's for me, everything's coming to me. And when it's not, then I get upset and I look at the world in a very negative way. I want to I want to say an a, um, interesting insight, which I heard years ago. I don't even remember from who, but it was such an amazing insight that I remember which I feel can really, really help people who, you know, look at things in a negative way. You know, if you look at we say every morning. There's a long list of brachas. We go through the list of brachas that we make every day. And they're amazing brachas. These are amazing brachas. If only we would think of them. I am Zoycha to give in Yeshiva a five to six minute share, which the boys actually asked me um, to give a share on Siddha. They want to know the Siddha. That's what we do in Yeshiva. It's, you know, yes, we, of course, we learn Gemara and everything else, but Halacha and Ashkofa and Musa and Siddha and, and Shabbos Kodesh, that's what we need to give. And one of the things, one of the one of the things we do in Yeshiva is we took out the Siddha, we go through basic for Moida'ani, we went to Lishtabach, Mitzvah Shem after Pesach, we're going to continue from Berchus Krishma. And, and it's amazing to look at some of the brachas that we say every day and understand not just the words and the translation, but a little bit more of the deeper meaning. And when we came to the brachas of Berchus Hashacha, so it's interesting, we take for granted a lot of the brachas, and of course we try to specifically uh, mention them and try to internalize them and thank the Rabbi Nishanam for waking us up and giving us the Gavadagam brachas. But there's one bracha which does not seem to fit in, and that is the very first bracha, who gave the rooster the ability, the das, the understanding to differentiate between day and night. First of all, why is that important? Number two, why is it the first bracha? It's a huge list of the most important brachas. But we're able to see. So we can stand up in the morning. What's a nice and doing there? Why is it the first one on the list? Like the first one is like the most important one. Why is that the most important bracha? And and by the way, is it really difficult to know the difference between day and night? I mean, a baby, yes. a newborn baby, what's the difference? Maybe not a newborn baby, but a baby gets a bit older, understands the difference between day and night. We all understand the difference between day and night. Wow. So we're coming along to say that a rooster was given the dust to know the difference between day and night. Why is it the first on the list? Why is it there? And why is it so choshub? So the answer I heard is it's, it's so gravaldic. And that is anyone that was ever close to a rooster, to a chicken in the morning, and if you sleep around them, and I remember the um, before we moved into our new into our building where we are right now in Yeshiva, we lived in a building right close to my house, almost like a 15 second from the house, which was great because I was able to, you know, go to Yeshiva much more often than I am now. But the point is that we were right by some roosters and chickens, literally by the bottom of the steps of Yeshiva. And I, and I, I heard this all the time. And that is the chickens actually don't start making their noise. They don't start you know, shouting and screaming in the morning. They actually do it earlier on while it's basically still night. It's like Aloysa Shacha, so to speak, where there's no nate, there's no sunrise. So it's interesting. There we are praising the chickens for waking up and knowing the difference between day and night, but yet they don't seem to know the difference between day and night. And the answer is that um, in every darkness, there is light. And in what a chicken does is detects the light within the darkness and is able to see the little sparks of the light that's coming out. And therefore, in our lives, what we are recognizing and we are proclaiming, when we say this bracha, the first on the list of Birchas HaShacha is yes. 
There are going to be times and situations in life that seem a bit dark, that seem difficult. It's dark out there. But what we have to do is to detect the light and the shining pieces that come out of it. And that's why it's the first one on the list. Before we get to anything else, we should know that life has challenges. Life sometimes looks a little bit dark. But if we're able to do like the chicken, who's able to differentiate between the day and the night and pick out the pieces of the light from within the darkness, which is exactly what the chicken and the rooster does, then that will help all of our lives in every situation with all of the faculties that we are or are not given because we realize that everything comes from Hashem. And if we take the light, then everything changes. So to answer your question, I think what it is, is to continue focusing, highlighting, talking, writing, use as many senses as you can to recognize the good, to recognize the positive. Those negativities are still going to be there. We're not ignoring them, but they won't be the focus. They won't be on the forefront of our minds. What's on the forefront of our minds is often the first thing that comes to our head, the missing tile syndrome. Oh, there's a missing tile. Yes, there's a missing tile. I'll deal with it later. But there's also a beautiful roof. And the first thing we want to train ourselves when we come into a house, when we come into a room, is we see a beautiful roof. Yes, there may be a missing tile and we'll deal with it. We'll take care of it. We'll fix it. And we have to fix it. But ultimately to realize that it's a beautiful roof. So to answer your question, I think the more we spend, and this has to be done on a daily basis and positive, writing it down or saying it more and more with all the things that we have in life, with all the Gavaldiga things that the Revolution has given us, and that will push out slowly but surely some of the negativities from our lives. Gavaldiga, Ravi. Okay. So we have a special guest. You ready, Ravi? Let's go. Gedalia Miller from Keshenashi. He has a question. He wants to ask you. First of all, tell us about what Keshenashi is and what your experience is for people that don't know. So I I, I was Zoycha for the very first time um, in Tiveria when they made that Shabbaton in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, not long ago, I was Zoycha to be to join them for that Shabbos, which I have to tell you was initially was very very hard for me because um, anyone that knows my schedule in yeshiva. I generally don't speak. It's been as modern for me now, so like it's much easier and calmer, even though it's only it's still 5.05 in the morning. But the Maisa, it's been as modern, so it's calmer. During this month, I try generally not to speak too much. When I'm in America, I speak in America. When I'm there, I'm in America a bunch of times. But when they asked me to come to Deveria, so at first I was like, that's from the middle of this month. It's Shabbos. I like to be with the boys. It's not so simple to leave the boys for Shabbos as well. I, I spend every Shabbos with the boys generally, and they come to my house, and we have the Oinig, and, and, and we join in together, and we sing, and Shalashidas for Hulei. It's very hard for me, but for some reason, I felt that it was something that I wanted to do and share with the Oilam. And I came, and I, I cannot tell you, with Gedalia, what he does in his organization, Keshenavshi, is, is absolutely not normal. The chizek that I received from that Shabbos was loyuman. It was so amazing. It was so. I walked out of that Shabbos and I said, I, I don't know. I, I had to come back again. And 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 in his amazing way, he managed to get me to come to America afterwards. And and uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see vital. We'll see what happens after that. But what he, the chizek that, that parents get, and not parents, anyone get from that is incredible. It, it's a lifesaver. It's unreal. It's amazing. And uh, what a tzaddik he is for be able to take on this, this challenge that so many people are going through in the world. So let's hear his, I'm sure, amazing question. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I heard the Shia and it's unbelievable. And I also watched your status since we connected with the, the Poland trip. And I'm not in awe of what you see the neshamas of these boys. So my question is, the boys are coming home now from Kobena's Manam. And what's the positive things that the parents can do? And what's the no-no's they shouldn't be doing with these boys? I know we expect they went to Yeshiva, we spent so much money sending them there. 
And now we expect them to all of a sudden turn turn around and be up for free Shema and put on tefillin when do they want and, and be quiet in shul or come to shul or come to the Seder to do a long Seder and say Tyrus. So what are the things that parents should not do? Number one. And number two, what's the most positive attribution that parents could do to complement what the yeshiva and the moist is put into them by Osman? Wow. That's a Gavaldi Kasha. That is a Gavaldi Kasha. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And uh, so, so important. Um, I, I will, I guess, give a Hagdoman introduction by saying that it very much depends on, number one, where the boy is coming from and uh, where he went to, which is Shiva. And of course, the relationship the parents have with, uh, with, with the boy, with their son. Uh, but I will tell you that this is a question that I get very, very often from the parents. You know, I get an email frantically right before the Benaz Manim is like, what do I do? Do I say something? Do I not say something? Do I wake him up? Do I not wake him up? You know, what happens if he does this and whatever? So I believe very, very much that, again, every boy needs structure. Everyone needs structure. But I think every child also knows what they're meant to be doing. There's no child out there that does anything against his parents. Everyone knows what their parents really, really want. They may find it difficult. They may find it challenging. And maybe, you know, experiences in their lives also, you know, can, can have uh, contributed to where they are today in order to, you know, to, to give them the experiences and, you know, make them act in the way that they're doing today. But what it means is when there's a boy coming back, the greatest thing that a parent can do is give the child chizik, is give the child acceptance. That means I don't think a child, unless the child wants to be woken up and maybe the parent can say, would you like me to wake you up for shachris? Would you like me to, you know, to, to, to get you a chavrusa? You can ask that. But if the child says, no, it's okay, I'll, I'll get up myself, leave the child, let the child be. There's two things. Number one, um, do not judge necessarily a child's man based on the Bainas, based on the Bainas Manim. I know there was a whole give or take about it in one of the magazines recently. I don't want to get involved. I don't think I read it. But there was a Shaila if the Bainas Manim shows that he did or did not have a good man. It's not necessarily true. Sometimes a guy needs to, uh, you know, needs to needs to unload. He had an amazing man, and and he and he was pushed. You know, at the yeshiva by us. You mentioned Poland. Poland is not a simple trip to get on. It's an incentive trip that we, you know, challenge the guys to get on, and we make we work them hard, and we do it for a good reason because it's a time of the year that they could be pushed and they should be pushed. And I always tell them, listen, in if not now in this part of the year after Hanukkah, between Hanukkah and Purim, when are you going to be pushed? And the boys work really, really hard. I can't tell you how hard it is and how good they feel afterwards. That yes, it was difficult, but we made it through and how so many guys got onto that, you know, train on the way to the airport that when we were going to Poland and they were like, I can't believe I made it. And they feel so good about themselves. So sometimes pushing and, you know, giving a child a certain structure is very, very healthy. But Benazmanim, I do feel that sometimes a child needs to, you know, needs to unload and needs to relax. The Gemara tells us sometimes the Bittal Torah is the key of Torah. So the greatest compliment that the a parent can give to the child is, I trust you. That is the greatest compliment that a parent can give to the child. Because when a child, and it has to be real, of course, you can't just say the words and feel something else inside. You know, I don't trust you, but like, okay, I, I taught the script. You know, I'm looking in my jacket. Yeah, yeah, the script. Uh, I trust you. It's not going to work. You need to be able to say to the child with real meaning that the parent has to look into themselves and say, I trust you. You had a good son. You tell the child, I heard you had an amazing son. 
I spoke to your Shishiva, I spoke to your Rebbe, I spoke to the Mashkech, whoever it is. And I heard you did Gavaldic. I heard you did great. You know what you've done to the child? You've uplifted the child. You showed the child that the parent sees what they're doing. Everyone wants validation. Everyone wants to see, everyone wants to see, you know, we live for ourselves, but ultimately we, you know, we look in the corner of eyes, anyone watching. And the child to their parents is specifically that way, for sure that way. So when you have a child that comes back business money, the first thing that a parent could do is, I spoke to Rebbeim, I spoke to Rashiva. Wow, you had an amazing man. You mama shtag, it's Kavaldik. You know, Mitzvah Shem, let's keep it up. Make the home fun to be in. He's only at home for a few weeks. Make those few weeks geschmack. I can't tell you, sometimes I've had, over the years, I've had, you know, guys that are like, after two days, they're like, Rebbe, I need to come home. I need to come back. I, I can't be in his home anymore, right? And 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 sometimes it's it's a wonderful home. It's a beautiful home, and it's just the environment. It's the shul, or it's the whatever it may be that's around them. But make the home the most exciting place. Make a home gishmak. You mentioned the seder night, right? Now, it's important for a father to realize seder night is not for him. It's for the children. Your Torahs and everything else. Say it to yourself when you know when the kids have gone to bed. Make it for the child. I, I gave a um. A share a number of years ago, which someone told me that they still listen to now, which was amazing about the te- about the makas and how we can bring them alive to the seder night. I think it's on Torah anytime. You can look it up. It, it, again, there's many svarim and wonderful books and midrashim that deal with that. That make the home exciting. Make a child want to come home. Make him look forward to Ben Azmanim, not because I'm I'm getting out of yeshiva and I don't have to learn and this yeshiva is not going to wake me up in the morning anymore, but rather because I want to break and I can't wait to be with my parents and spend time with my parents and spend time with my siblings. A home is a warm place. It's a happy place. It's a positive place. Don't force the child to do something they don't want to do. Don't wake them up. They don't want to be woken up. Again, these are specifics that sometimes should be directed specifically to a, a different situation. But the, the idea is, is, is let them just make the home into the warmest and kindest and most positive and happy place that it can be. Ravi Moedidik. Okay, you ready? We're just getting warmed up. I know, now you're waking up. The Giazman Chakras. Okay, next slide. Ah. Hi, Rabbi. I hope all is well. Erev Tov, or maybe a Bokir Tov by you guys. Um, I'm a sixth grader. I, first of all, I tremendously admire your work, all the work that you do for Klai Israel. It's, it's incredible inspiration for me, myself, as a Rebbe. Um, I happen to be a sixth grade Rebbe in a mainstream yeshiva for uh, several years. And um, I, I would say my method of teaching is similar to the Rav's. Connect, then teach. Give them the, the fire of Yiddishkeit. Let them feel it. And I sort of teach Gemara in that way, using mashalim, stories, hand-on activities, different types of modalities to help them relate, you know, using a smart board in today's society to help those boys, you know, um, connect to the learning, see the hands-on, the, the slideshow, and uh, different challenges that we use in class, maybe uh, offering them good pictures of gedolim, whatnot, to get them excited about all the, you know, the learning. And um, I've seen tremendous success over the past couple of years, my years in Chinuch. But unfortunately, as, as the Rav said it himself, here and there, I do receive a lot of, uh, some, not a lot, for mostly for the great, but um, a lot, some negative feedback from other Rabbeim, older Mechanchim, questioning or maybe undermining this method of teaching the Talmudim in today's day and age, using a smart board and doing it this way. So I would say my question to the Rav is how to respond to those who feel that the old school way is the only correct way to teach Talmudim effectively. Wow. That's a great question. That is a great question, which I believe many people need to hear. I don't know about the answer they need to hear, but the, the question they for sure need to hear, just to be able to contemplate and think, what, what is that all about? Um, you know, when 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 the first yeshiva was 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 set up uh, by Rebbe Chaim it wasn't for everyone. 
Like shockingly enough, it wasn't for everyone. It wasn't. It wasn't made that everybody should go to yeshiva, and that it was for the elite. And he felt that the, the elite required a yeshiva specifically to be in, and everybody else was machanach and home, and it was fine. Obviously, now things have changed. Everybody needs to go through, you know, some kind of chenach system, and and even yeshiva. Right, the boys in yeshiva by me have told me as well. You know, like you can't say that because, you know, people need this, so to speak, this 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 bubble. Of a uh, of a yeshiva of Yiddishkeit, the Dalakosa Shalhalacha, in order to cope with many of the with the challenges that are out there. But in order to to answer that question, it, it's a hard. You can't change people's minds. You know, people have sometimes their their perspectives, and no, it's the old way, and it's only Gemara. What are you doing? You know, people have told me the same thing as well. Well, you're teaching halacha, and of course you teach halacha, but like you know, the Iker is Gemara and Gemara and Gemara and Gemara, and of course we learn Gemara by us. But the, you know, I would say the Iker by us is Yiddishkeit. We learn halacha and Ashkofer and Chumash and 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 and, and Shabbos Kodesh and the Siddur and Emuna Ulmis Gavaldigazachan that they all need to hear. Everything needs to be changed and, and fitted with the mold of the generation that we're living in. And I think that's a very, very important idea. Like with Shlomer Feifel said, and I mentioned that at the beginning, that our challenges have changed. And just like our challenges have changed, we have to shift our focus into what we're seeing needs to be done. And we saw Salanta got up and made the Muslim movement. What, what, what does that mean? What, how did he change something that wasn't being done in Kalani? So there was no Muslim Seda, but he saw and understood that there needs to be an official Musa say the, the ulama are not learning Musa. They used to learn it from Gemara. They're not. Okay, we need to have Musa's for him as part of the curriculum. I believe very much, and again, I'm not here to say that everyone else is wrong and everyone else is doing it on Chas But from my experiences of working with boys and working with teenagers and working with people, you know, I see that they need more than just Gemara. They need what you're saying is the smart board and they need pictures. And we're seeing it more and more by what's going on in the world with how our Sforim are coming out. Look at what's being popular. Look at what people are writing. Look what people are buying. What people are connected to. Look at the Gedolim and Sadiqim and the Torah that people are connected to so much more. Why is it today people are sitting learning Hasidus? I've got guys in the yeshiva by me who come from, you know, I would say regular, some Litvisha homes who are learning Tanya Be'iyan. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. They see that come in the morning. It's a pre-Shachwa's title. Guys are sitting and learning before Shachwa's Tanya. This is amazing. Forget about the fact that they're woken up. Forget about the fact that they're learning before Shachwa's. They're learning Tanya. You know what Tanya is? It's Megala the Neshama. Why is it that an 18-year-old boy with all of the Taivas and Yetzirahs and drives in the world that is at its strongest is learning Tanya? The answer is because it's talking to his neshama, it's working. He's being Megala who he is, he's understanding who he is. And therefore, I, I don't think we should pay much attention to the people that try to bash anyone that's doing things differently if they are working. And we're seeing it. You said yourself, you're seeing it. I'm seeing it. Other people that I speak to that I deal with also want to try to mimic that and copy that. And that's beautiful. It's the greatest compliment in the world. We have to realize so often that you know we're not looking at the world's approval we're not looking for people's approval again i'm not saying we do things you know don't care about the world of course there's a mahalach of doing things that we've got to make sure that's correct mishnah prokyovas talks about the fact that you know is you know what's the right mahalach for a person to to pick is the thing that, that looks him good and everyone else looks good on it as well but if we're seeing that it's working if we're seeing that it's happening then just plow ahead and go for it because it's working for our children. Our children need it so desperately. They mamish need it. You know, when, when a boy will tell me that, you know, the Yiddish guy is so difficult, it's so hard, I'll often, my answer to that will be was, I, I think you got sold the wrong Yiddish guy. 
Like, I don't know what you were taught, but I think you posh got, you know, you're the wrong Yiddishkeit. I, I don't know which Yiddishkeit version they gave you, but it's the wrong one. You know, uh, the, the marshal is told of a uh, grandfather that comes to go and visit his grandchildren. And uh, it was the days before, ma- you know, major travel and trains took many, many days to arrive and they didn't come frequently, whatever. And his grandchildren were so excited. Zayda's coming, Zayda's coming. They were so excited. And at the specific time and day that the train was meant to arrive, they're there in their Shabbos clothing, all excited. They arrive at the platform hours in advance in anticipation for the rider to arrive. And finally, in the distance, they see the train, the train's coming in. And the train gets closer and closer. Zayda's coming, Zayda's coming, it's Kavaldic. And finally, the train pulls up at the platform and the doors are about to be open. And the way it worked was all the suitcases from everyone who traveled didn't travel with them in their specific carriage, but rather at the back, they had a carriage and that's where everyone stuffed their suitcases. So the grandchildren, not wanting to waste time, you know, some of them ran to the back uh, compartment to open up the, the door and grab the Zyder's case. He's been with them many, many years. They recognize the case. They know what it looks like. They'll grab it out. They'll run to him. And this way they won't you know, waste time looking for it afterwards. And they, they find and they locate his case and... Um, they pick it out and it, it's really heavy this time. And they're schlepping it and schlepping it. And they see their grandfather came out the doors from all the way at the other end. And the Zayda's looking at them schlepping this case. And he's like waving his hands, waving his hands. And they're like, yeah, we're coming. Don't worry, we're getting closer and closer. And, and then he's getting closer and closer and he's waving his hands. And eventually they get really, really close. And the Zayda's like, that's not my case. And then he's like, they're like, what? How did you know that? That was so far. It looks like a case. It, I, I saw the case. I recognized it from last time. How did you know from so far it's the wrong case? And he said, you know why? Because you were schlepping it. It was very heavy. I knew that my case was very, very light. And if you're schlepping it, it means it's the wrong case. And I say this to guys as well. If you feel that Yiddishkeit is hard, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's restrictive, then I don't know which Yiddishkeit you were sold. Yeah, there are challenges. Of course, there are rules and regulations because everything has rules and regulations, but it's for our good. And if we can take those rules, quote unquote, and regulations and say there's not 613 restrictive, you know, instructions, but these are 613 ways to make life more gishmak, to make life the best that we can, to utilize the world in the best possible way. And if we can do that with pictures, with, with, with whatever it is, I, I have slideshows myself that I created. I'm not such a graphic artist, but I created, you know, slideshows on Hilchus haircuts and, and Tfilin and, you know, uh, uh, checking bugs and whatever I could do, right? Just it, it talks to people. It works. It resonates. It goes inside. You can't compare. You put up a screen in the base measures, they go, oh, don't get excited. Maybe this is Kavali. What movie are we, uh, are we showing in the base measures today? Can he borrow the projector for tonight? You know, this is great. And it gets an excitement if it's working. Working, don't worry about it. Keep plowing ahead. You're doing an amazing job. You are helping the future of Kalali Sol not just continue in the way of our ancestors of Romit and Yaakov. You're giving them what they need, that spark was in the beginning, the Marel. That's what we're doing here. We're here, the generation is a little bit of a stone dead generation, but we're here to uplift it and to make it look lighter and geschmack and be geschmack because it is. And it's not something we're not selling something that's not there. We're selling a reality. We're not trying to convince them it's good. It is good. We have to feel that in ourselves, of course. But when we do that, use any way, use any method. Over the generation, things have changed. They need to be changed. It's good that they're changing. And yes, and continue the Gavaldi work that you're doing. Gavaldi, Gavaldi. Here's a, another question. This is from a Bachar in Yeshiva. He's 21 years old, struggling with looking and thinking inappropriate things 
he knows it's wrong. He, it's, it's a, he's having a challenge. What advice would you give him? What advice would you give to someone who is struggling with Kedusha? What an important question. What an important question. Wow. I'm happy that was raised. Um, so I started giving actually in yeshiva about seven years ago. Um, I was teaching in a yeshiva for boys that were basically most of them are not religious meaning they were in yeshiva to be in yeshiva, but like religious was not really like uh, on the forefront of their, you know, uh, of their schedule. And I decided to give a series on Shovavim. We, we Shovavim is the weeks of from Shemais all the way to Parashas Mishpatim, or Trumet Tetzavah and Alipieh. And it's the idea to work on Yoni Kedusha. So I put together a bunch of Marmakomas and stories and Chizik in Shemir Sinaim. And I felt that that's what Shovavim is meant to be. And often that uh, the focus is often other things. And I felt it should be this. And I went to one of my rebbeim. I had to shimish by. I was there to sit uh, for many, many uh, years by Rabbi Zul Obach, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman's son, Rabbi Yashiv's son-in-law, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky's brother-in-law, an extremely chashivity, massive Talmud Chacham, one of the gedolim here in Eretz Yisrael. And I, uh, I asked him if this was appropriate because it's one thing to talk one-on-one, but it's also another thing to give a sheh barabim in a medrash about these very sensitive, and some of them explicit nyanim. And he said, absolutely, ace lasses, one hundred percent. And he gave me the chizuk to do it. And I have to say, Baruch Hashem, with tremendous siyata deshmaya from the Rabbi Nishlolam, um, it, it, it took off amazingly, so much so that I got a phone call a, a year or two ago from someone in Lakewood who said to me, by the way, do you even know that they took your shurim, they put it onto a CD, and they attached it to every single car outside BMG? I didn't even know this. It was unbelievable. Really, really, really special. And uh, because of that, I do get a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls recently, a lot of phone calls from Bachrim of different places in the world who are too embarrassed to speak to their own personal rebellion because it's embarrassing sometimes that you're struggling, that you're going through these challenges. And uh, they reach out to me and ask me, what do I do? Give me chazak. And, you know, you, you give it to one boy and he tells his chavrusa and his friend and, and, and all of a sudden phone calls are coming through. It's hard to answer all the phone calls. It really, really is. But um, I, I do appreciate the fact that I, I could try to give me chazak someone. So what would I say to a boy? What do I say to such a boy when he calls up, when I get an email and um, about a boy who's struggling, or by the way, you know, this is a question I think was from a boy. This could be for a girl as well. I've had many, many questions that come from girls as well. This could be for married men, married women. It, it, it's irrelevant, by the way, a person's situation, because unfortunately, the Yitzhah is the Yitzhah. And in Apotropos Lairais has said for a reason, we can't trust the Yitzhah until the day that we die, as the Rambam says, he'll clearly in Hilkos Talmatari, Hilkos Tshuva. And therefore, you know, we all have challenges. What are the Yitzhah? The very first thing, by the way, that I say, is that you're not alone. You What you are going through is something that many people go through. And I always say to them, the reason I tell you that is because you should know that it's a natural challenge. It's a natural Yitzhahara. It's a natural drive that many people have. And it's okay. It's okay. And I, and I think it's important for a person to realize that. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to do it, but I'm saying it's okay to feel it. It's okay to have those challenges because one of the first things that goes through a person's mind when he has those challenges is like, ugh, I'm disgusting. I'm a disgusting human being. I'm a dirty person. These are the thoughts that go through my head. These are the things that I want to type on the computer and the internet on the website. Come on. I'm a disgusting human being. And then how can I daven the next day? And how can I put on tefillin? How can I, you know, wash negobasan? How can I create shmanamita? And the answer is no, 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 no. As we said before, every single year, as the Tanya says it clearly, is a chelik elakam imal mamish. We are mamish a chelik of Hashem, and there's nothing that we can ever do to stop that. And that's what's important. Like the orin, 
in the base of Migdash, its inner layer was gold. Gold is something that doesn't change, it's solid. And the Shomer is represented by that gold, and that is it's never changing. It's always solid. Yeah, we may, you know, layer it with wood, which is what was done by the Orin, because wood is pliable, wood can be shaped, wood can get moldy, wood can change, but that doesn't change the gold on the inside. So the very first thing we have to know is that you're not alone. It's very normal. Many people go through it. That's number one. Number two, and again, this requires very, very at length. And if you want to hear my shurim, you can listen on to any time on Spotify to what I say to boys and how we go through the challenges and we talk about the chizuk and we talk about the negativity and we talk about the positivity and we talk about the chizuk that a person can get. But just to walk away with an etzah, if I could give something practical for everybody to walk away with, something that I have tried and tested with many, many guys. And I always ask them to come back to me to ask, to tell me, does it work? Because I need to share it with others. And this is a, something which does work. And that is to celebrate the successes. And this is something true across the board, something true with everything in life, but specifically within Yoni Kedusha as well, looking at the wrong thing, seeing the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. When we learn to, to, to be happy and to celebrate the successes that we have, then that will breed more success. What do I mean? That means if a person has a certain Yetzirah, and again, this can apply to speaking Lashon horror. this can apply to many, many different Averis, but over here we're concentrating on Yoni Kedusha. If a person has a specific you know, Yetzirah and he wants to do something, he has an urge and he wants to, what should he do? So I suggest, wait five minutes. In other words, don't tell yourself, I'm not going to do it, because that often is not going to work. I will, but in five minutes, right? The Gemara talks about it in Mishnah's Kedushin. Uh, I'm not going to go through the Baramakomis now, but there's many, 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 many sources for this. Wait and delay. When you delay something, that will often help. Sometimes you won't even do it because you've delayed it, and therefore the circumstances change, the environment changes, your feelings change, that can change. But when you delay it, even if, and this is an important one, even if you were Nechshah, even if the Maisa the Averi was done, you waited five minutes. Celebrate those five minutes. Because that celebration of five minutes is going to lead to later on tonight or tomorrow when you have a similar urge or similar Yitzhah, I'm going to have the ability, I waited five minutes yesterday, I'm going to wait also five minutes today. And eventually that will turn to 10 minutes, which eventually turns to 20 minutes, which eventually half an hour, and maybe even the next day, and maybe even never. Which means we have to celebrate the successes that we have in everything. And again, those of you that are listening that don't have this issue, whatever it may be, then it applies to everything. Russian horror applies to many, many others. Celebrate the successes that we have, because the successes that we have need to be celebrated because they can breed more success. And I've seen that, and I tell this to guys, number one, it's normal, it's understandable, it's okay, it's, it's accepted, you know, this is what's going on, this is where people are holding but it's okay. Don't think of yourself as a disgusting person. You're a beautiful neshama. You have a beautiful inside. You happen to just do that. Okay. So that can be stopped and we have to stop it. We have to deal with it, of course, before we get married, while you're married, whatever it may be. But celebrate the successes. When you celebrate the successes, that breeds more success and that can help for more. Okay, Rabbi Weasel called. I know it's late, but I want to have one more question and then I'm going to go to the closing. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay, last question. As a single parent with three children, I know firsthand how challenging it can be to keep up with the demands of everyday life, let alone to find time to connect with the simchas and Shabbos and Yom Tevim. For me, Yom Tev can feel like a time when I need to shut down and become a robot just to get through everything that needs to be done. I find it difficult to enjoy and connect with Yom Tev in a meaningful way. As a single parent, finding, find a practical solution to this problem. How can I overcome the feeling of being overwhelmed, disconnected, very lonely, and sad in my situation? During Yom Tov. Wow. 
What a question. What a question. So, um, I, I just, I'll start with, with, with a feeling that one of the boys gave us after our Poland trip. We, as I told you, we went, we went to Poland. We go every year to somewhere in Europe and or whatever it is, a big trip for a big incentive. And this year it was Poland, which was incredible because I'd love to continue doing that every year. And there are many people that actually asked to join us on the trip and maybe we will, maybe we'll open up the trip for the outsiders and to join us because it, it's one of those powerful trips, especially when you go with Yeshiva and it's really, really incredible. And I asked the boys at the end of the trip, could you please um, share your experiences? I'd love to hear from you. What did you feel? What were your feelings? What was going on in the head? It was after like a four days of real, real intensity. We had a bit of fun in the middle, but it was intense. It was really intense. And it really was. For me, it was intense. For them, for them even more. And many of the boys shared beautiful experiences. One of the boys said something that really, that really touched my heart, that I, that I told him the whole trip was worth it. And and he he's a boy, he's a wonderful, wonderful boy. I love him so much. He's great. He's he's, he's decent a shama, so sweet. And uh, he, he got up that stage, he sat next to me and he said, you know, before this trip, I wasn't so proud to be Jewish. Yeah, yeah I was doing it. I, I was going through the motions. I was, you know, quote unquote religious, doing the things that I was meant to do, that I'm supposed to do. I wasn't proud to be Jewish. When I saw what Clarissa went through, when I saw the mysterious nefesh, that they had to make a seder in Auschwitz or to be able to put on tefillin in Maidanic or whatever it may be and each of their challenges. And again, like I always say, we never, ever, ever, we can never judge anyone that went through these things, whether they do or do not, you know, are religious or not religious. That's not the point. But the stories that we gave the boys were so much positivity. And I, I specifically directed the trip mainly towards the positivity that, of course, we have to know the negativity. We have to know what they did. But the positivity is so great that Clarisol is so beautiful. Clarisol is so amazing that the connection and their mysterious nefesh and self-sacrifice to the Yiddishkeit, to mitzvahs, is, 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 is outstanding. And we have to focus on that. And when I focused on that, this boy came along and said, after this trip, I am now proud to be a Yid. And, and, and I think that is something that is so, so important. Yont of time can often be a very, very stressful time for everyone, whether it's for the men, whether it's for the women, and also for the children on a certain extent as well. And by the way, remember, the children pick up our stress levels. They pick up our anxiety. They pick up on everything and positivity and negativity. Even if we don't say it, they understand it, right? There are many studies. We're not. This is not the platform, but there are many study, studies of people that uh, long, long into their life, they've lived, lived many, many years, and they still have some of the insecurities and the and and the negativities that they picked up from their parents when they were maybe even six months old. Uh, we don't realize the effect as a parent. We've spoken about it a few times tonight, but. Yontav is a difficult time. We have to realize, you know, what we have. And we have to realize what Yontav can be. And sometimes it's buying Sforim that talk about the Yontav Toivim. Sometimes it's even listening to Shiurim that talk about the Yontav Toivim. It's so important to get involved in each Yontav because each Yontav has so much beauty to it. Rav Shinshan Pinkas famously writes about each Yontav in such a beautiful way. Every Yontav has its beauty, has its connection. So, yes, there are times that are challenging and there are many things that are challenging. You know, I speak to people a lot. I spoke to a boy at length last night who's going through a very, very challenging stage. Shaduchim is an emotional roller coaster. Some days, yes, some days, no. Why is Hashem doing this to me? What do I need this for? What's the point of the whole thing? And many people have these questions. And we've spoken a lot about that in, 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 in tonight's, in, in tonight's you know, uh, get together in this platform. But we have to realize that this is what we need to make us. This is who we are. You know, when you point out to a boy or to a girl or to anyone, look how you've grown. 
But a boy will tell me, I don't know if I did anything this month. No, look how much you've grown. Look how you've steig. Look where you are today compared to where you are. Point it out. It's amazing. And we could do that in our own lives as well. We can look at Pesach and say, oh, we've got to clean the house and we've got to do this and spring cleaning and shopping and it costs a lot of money. And what's the point? It's just oh, another yom to get it over and done with. I can't wait till Pesach is finished. And then it's Shavuos. And the... But no. Or we can utilize what we have as an opportunity. Just to give you a small example in my own life, you know, when I go on an airplane, so some people don't look forward to airplane rides because it's like it's a means to an end, meaning I don't really be, want to be on the plane. I want to be in my destination, but I have to be on an airplane in order to get there. So therefore, the airplane experience is not going to be geschmack because at the end of the day, I don't want to be on the airplane. I just want to get the result of what the airplane brings me, which is my location. Now, of course, that's true. And nobody goes on the airplane stamina, so a little child, right? I go on an airplane in order to get to a destination. But for me, myself, I know that this is true, that I use the airplane as an opportunity to do things. You know, my, my time is very, very limited. I don't have time during the day because I'm spending most of my day with the boys, which I love, which is great. And I love that. But I don't have much time to write more Svarim. Baruch Hashem, I have a lot of Svarim out there and I would love to write more and do more and write more Shirim. And it's very hard. I don't have the time to do that. An airplane is a perfect opportunity, right? The boys already know me, right? The boys know if you're on an airplane with me, don't talk to me. My headphones are on. Even if there's no music, there's no shit. I shouldn't have given away that secret. That's a bad thing to do. But I don't listen. I just don't talk to me because my airplane time is my time that I can write new shurim. I can think of new ideas. I can write. I can write some more sforum, correct my old sforum, and get things out there, right? It's 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 every opportunity is like that. Why am I telling you this? Because everything in life presents an opportunity of growth, an opportunity of connection. And the question is, is it a means to an end? In other words, do we, are we waiting for Pesach just to get it over and done with? I can't wait till it's over. I can't wait till Mozza Pesach goes out. Oh, I can't wait. That 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 first pizza, wow, it's Gavaldic. Yeah, and it might be Gavaldic, that pizza. It might be beautiful. But after all, what are we using Pesach for? So if we're using now the upcoming Yontov, Pesach is an amazing time. I've actually used this a few times when I spoke to people, is... Pesach represents Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is getting out not only of the geographically locational Mitzrayim of Egypt, which I was able to go to with the boys, which was Gavaldi, because when we left Egypt, they wouldn't let us leave. They actually stopped us. It was just after COVID and they stopped us. And then this is Gavaldic. We're being stopped again, leaving Mitzrayim. So we actually felt a little bit of that, what it was to actually not be leaving Mitzrayim. But take Pesach as an opportunity to leave our own personal constraints, our personal challenges. We all have challenges. We all have issues. Rabbi Dr. Tversky used to give a bracha to people. I give you a bracha that you should always have small challenges. And I was like, huh? I don't want such a bracha. And he was like, hold on a minute. Think about it. Everyone has small challenges. The moment a huge challenge comes along, we forget about the small challenges because we're busy concentrating on the big challenge. If you're concentrating on the small challenges, it means you don't have any big ones. So he gave the bracha that we're going to have challenges. They should be small ones. And therefore, we should realize that, yes, sometimes it can be stressful. But we have the opportunity, like everything, to turn it into something positive, to turn it into something geschmack, to turn it into an opportunity of growth, an opportunity of connection, whether it's with the Rabbani Shalom, whether it's with our children, or whether it's with ourselves, which also is important. So take the opportunity, get Shuram out there, read books, read Svarim, read as much as you can on the Yontov, try to get and tap in to the beauty of the Yontov that's about to come upon us and utilize the Yontov to be able to connect with the Rabbi Shalom, with your children, with your spouses, with your parents, Happy and of course with yourself. Okay, Rabbi, we're going to do something special here. You ready? I'm ready. 
Okay. Three tell me them. Each are gonna speak. Naftali's gonna go first. Naftali, tell us something special about Rebavi. Uh, oh, yeah, first yeah, of yeah. all, hi Rebbe. Ah, I love you. Mwah. He spoke really well. It was really nice. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say share one thing. When I met the Rashiva, um, I just always saw him smiling and I asked him, like, how are you always smiling? Like are you on something? Like, what's going on here? Like, every time I see it, it's just a huge smile. And he hugs me and he goes, I'm smiling because I see you. Um, and that was my um, uh, first year in Yeshiva. And I uh, just wanted to thank the Rosh Yeshiva so much for how much he does to every boy. Um, and I really miss him. Can't wait to see you next month. Ah, truly, I love you. I love you so much. You can be big yeah. benched. Ah. All right. Okay, Ellie, let's go. You're up. Um, so when I was asked to speak, I got kind of scared because I don't know what to say. You know, Ruiz is an amazing person. Um, I think I personally, I left Big recently. Um, and I realized everything, a lot that I've grown is that he showed, Rebbe showed me like how to like, what is davening? What it really means? Showing that. Studying for exams is just, is as important as diving for an exam, and show me what is like Torah and everything. So for that, I also totally stole my kind of story. I was gonna say that, but it's fine. <laughs> thank you for saying it for me. <laughs> but yeah, I'll take, I I think I send him a message right now. I'm just saying it because I see around me everything, and I see such a difference, and it's it's really really nice. So thank you, Rebbe, and thank you for seeing me. Ellie, I love thank you. Thank you so you. much. Beautiful. Ah, let's go, Nachi. I know you're a little nervous. Let's go. Come on, just tell Rebbe. Let's go. Okay, it's nearly four in the morning English here in London. <laughs> nearly four a.m. in the morning. Um, but first of all, Rebbe, we miss you. Um, can't wait to come back. Also, I just wanted to say, before I joined Yeshiva, um, I was skeptical about going to Yeshiva because I thought Yeshiva was just about Gemara, Gemara, Gemara. And that, um, when I found out about Beis Torres, I heard um, going to Yeshiva is not just about Gemara. It's also about your everyday life. And I appreciate how... Um, how much of a family environment he has made um, the yeshiva and how at home I feel then. I really appreciate it. Nuri, we love you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. That's great. Shkoya. Beautiful. Beautiful. Ah. Okay. Come on. Come on. Come on. Big boy. Let's go. Come on. There's somebody else speaking? One of the boys, a little scared. Come on, let's go. Just tell Rebbe you love yeah. him. Who, who is it? Okay, it's me, it's me, it's me. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I got a message life. that, listen, listen, that listen. I can speak, but I have nothing to oh, say. Well, like, what changed in your life before Rebbe and now? That's all I want to know. Oof. Uh... I uh, will talk later. Uh, not in front of 258 people right now. <laughs> um, no, just like the first time I met, I, met, I first of all, like my hair was on a Zoom meeting, actually. Uh, but the first time I actually met the Shishiva, uh, he gave me like such a hug, like right when I walked in. Uh, and it was something that I was like not expecting for Shiva, like just like, to come over to me and just like hug me and yeah from, from right from that second i knew like well i'm gonna like this place so yeah oh, we're for sure well whatever yeah we're for sure
Like Nasa Mayor said, I know my hair. Like we can go one by one if you want. Which one's <laughs> not? Nasa, which one is on? Nasa Mayor's hair, Vado. It's me using Yeshiva. Which one's that? Nasa Weiss? Nasa Weiss, yeah. Oh, Nasa, I'm mute. Let's go. No. Come on. Let's unmute him. Nasa Mayor. Let's go. Tell me something about Rebbe from your bed. Let's go. Everyone, I'm in bed. Right. But I would like to say something about the Rashiva. I was in the midst of it. What? 5.43 in the morning. Let's go. It's only 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Um, I'm in base of it for almost three years. Um, it's like, imagine someone saying in a few words about three years of being in base of it is quite a lot. But uh, the Shiva just uh, provides an environment for like every year to be themselves. And it's like a beautiful thing. So everyone can be themselves. Everyone could turn out to be themselves, and it's beautiful. Thank you, Rebbe. Uh, we miss you. We miss you. All right, Shmuel, let's go. Hey, Abby, it's just the name of my Zoom. Can I come? Hi, Abby. I just wanted to say that before before I came to Abbe Savit, I, I never really understood the actual love in Yiddish guy that there was. That the fact that Rebbe is just, it's, it's so easy to, to talk to Rebbe about literally anything. He just makes it so easy that, like, you want to learn more, you want to understand more. He's, he's, Rebbe's sole purpose is there to help you. It's just so amazing. And it's just really been an eye opener. Thank you so much, Rebbe. I really miss you. Can't wait to be back next month. Menachem, we love you. Thank you so much. Ah. Ah. Okay, let's go to closing now. Okay. First of all, Gershon Shkoyachter, Bobby Wiesenfeld coming on tonight. What a powerful share. Wow. My computer before was shaking from, from your power. We could feel it. Shkoyachter coming on and giving tremendous chizik to everybody. All different angles, parents, children, everything. So many different topics. I feel we covered so much, but yet there's so much more to talk about. So really, really appreciate it. Again, tonight, Shishvitz Chusr, Pintel Scheinberg, Yerevi, El Nishmas, all the hundreds of people here, and the thousands thousands of people that will listen to it later on. So we really appreciate that. Um, again, if anybody wants to get the WhatsApp every week, just WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Or you can go to menachembarifel.com and sign up for the emails and get the flyers and the replays. Again, anybody's here the first time every Sunday night at 9.30, we have different Rabbonin topics. Shiurim next week, March 26th, will be amazing share again with the world-famous Deshmuz, Reverend C.N. Schaefer. And uh, we had him a few times last time. It was an amazing, amazing, powerful program. And the topic of next week's program, Sparrow up, I just got it. The topic of next week's program is how to finally get your spouse to change. You're you know how to do that, right? Taking our marriages Easy. to the next level and the roles and the responsibilities of the husband and the wife. So uh to be a very powerful topic. Please tell everybody to join. Everybody Stephen Schaefer is the, is the the king of this stuff. So please be part of it. Um again, everything is recorded on channel manachamberhold.com. If anybody has any questions, you can email coachmanachamajimo.com. Rabbi Wiesenfeld, I will email you the share. You can put it on Torah anytime. It could be 3001. We could have add this to your shiurim. And if anybody wants to listen to this on the phone, we have, we'll put it up on the phone number at 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. If anybody wants to get in touch with Rabbi, Rabbi, Eason, Rabbi Avi Wiesenfeld with any questions, Rabbi, Rabbi Wiesenfeld, do you want to give out your email address? People can email you. Yeah, sure. Email me. It's R-A-W, R-A-W. At base David, B E I S D O V I D dot com. 
R-A-W at BaseDovid, B-E-I-S-D-O-V-A-D.com. Maldick, and again, I want to thank the advertisers, all the advertising sponsors, Lakewood School, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, Kyla Kaplan and Shmuel Summer from JCN, and Rebbe Wiesenfeld. I, I just want to say tonight was such a powerful program. It was so much chizik for me. Everybody else, okay, but for me, when you see all your Talmidim and the love that you, the energy and the kuchs that you put into them and the love that they have for you, they're up five o'clock in the morning through I see sunlight today. I don't know who's coming or going, but everybody's here and they want to, and they love you. And it just shows your energy is, it's contagious. So we love that. We're going to go first to Coach Menachem to wrap it up. And then Rabbi Avi, we need a few things from you. So just get ready. We need a closing, but a few other things. Coach Menachem. First of all, <clears throat> yeah, it's taka unbelievable. To see the Talmidim, nothing more can tell us what's going on. Unbelievable to feel the energy. And this is exactly what we're looking for. Many people out there would love to come to Yeshiva Beis David to sit there hours and hours, take in what you give them so we can apply it for those who are so busy. And like we heard, to, to, to get what you sell, you have to slow down. You have to have some time to connect, whether it's learning Kanya or a different safer, which whatever it is, but to, to be able to slow down, to stop, start thinking and learning. And also a big chizik, which you said before, is to understand we are in a generation which sometimes you just get up there and you feel like it's just not working. It's not for me. And you say, no, we're, we're continuing. We're not stopping. Even though we feel like a rock, it's part of it. We don't get scared of it. So thank you very much. And I thank all everybody tonight and all your Talmidim. And the Metashem should be able to apply step by step. So we should be able to grow, become closer, and go into the Geula of Pesach and Metashem. Shkoyach. Amen. Amen. Okay, Rebabi, we need a few things from you. Number one, we need a closing, obviously. We need a bracha for everybody that was here tonight and all the people that listened to it. Give us a bracha and then give us a closing. You want the closing first or the bracha first? Let's start with a bracha. Okay. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't give out brachas. I'm not, I'm not a rebbe. I don't give out brachas, but, you know, the of the rabbi that I deal with and, uh, you know, the beautiful neshamas that I have as chos to be part of. And the chizik that we get together, and, and I always say that I'm not giving chizik, I'm also getting chizik. I get chizik from the boys as much as they get chizik from me. I, I, I leave Yeshiva as a different person. It, 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 it's made me into who I am. There's no question about it. You know, we mentioned some of the svarim, we mentioned Tanya a lot, but like you said, the Shoish Vavoida, you know, the guys know this already, right? You said the Shoish Vavoida. This is huge by us in Yeshiva. Like, uh, how can you have a dabbling with that? You say the show is Vavoida, Avoida Sashem, Tfila. It's Moiradik, it's fire. Chavis Alabavish, Shabbatog, and Shabbachena, see the Rabbonisham, see the Rabbonisham in the world. There's so much, you know. I don't want to, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this, these are some of the Svarim that we do in Yeshiva a lot. It's, it's, it's beautiful. So I, I give a bracha with the Koyach of, of, of the of the Chizik that people get and and the beautiful Nishamas that I have a to be part of. But everyone, everyone listening and everyone who will listen, and even those who are not listening, and Gantz Klali Sultzaman together, that we will be ba'achtas, and we will have the greatest connection with the Rabbi Nishlan, who will understand ourselves, which ultimately will understand our relationship with Hashem. We will become greater people, we will connect with people, and Hashem. This will bring the gola. This is what's going to bring the gola. This is what's going to bring Meshech. Meshech is going to come when he sees, as we saw from the Maral, 
that we're more connected. That's all he wants. And you just want to be connected people. If you do it through Davening, you do it through Baba Kama, you do it through you do it through Tanya, or you do it through Chesed, it doesn't really make a difference. It's all about a connection to the Rabbi Shalom, each one according to his Neshama, what he can do. And Be'ez HaShem, the Rabbi Nishlam, should give all of us the Siyat HaShemayat to have a connection to Torah, to Yiddishkeit, and of course, ultimately, to the Rabbi Nishlam, B'Simcha, with a Geshmak, with Ava, to realize who we are, to realize the Koiches that we have, to bring them out, and the Isa Hashem Basiat Shmai will bring Mashiach. We'll all be standing before Pesach right now. It's going to be right over here. I can't look out the window because it's still dark. But the Maitza, we're going to be here with the Beisah Migdash Tzaman. We're going to be dancing together with our connection with Hashem. Amen. Rabbi, yeah, one, one more time that wants to go on. One more. I'm ready. Okay, let's go. Rafael Pomerantz, let's go. Ah. Uh... Hi, Rabbi. How are you doing? Good, Baruch I want to say, I didn't listen to a lot of it, but whatever I heard, I really, like, I want to say thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. I love you. I miss you. We'll see you soon, Mitz Hashem. Yeah, Mitz Hashem. Uh, Avi's there as well. We can see him poking in. Yeah. Ah, beautiful. Such beauty. Ah, thank you for everything, Rabbi. Appreciate ah. it. I really appreciate it. Well. it. We should play the thank you to the Rebbe song, you know. We should just play that now. I think that would that Kaze would Kaze 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 right. Okay, everybody, have a great night. Rebbe for everything. And um, yeah. we'll see you everybody next week with Rebbe Zion Schaefer. Good night to all. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah.